0: up everybody hi everybody welcome back to the bridge the gap we are so excited to be back again on this saturday here shout out end of the week for helping us make this all freaking real shout out to co-host flaco beo who i don't you don't see but he's there he's gonna talk for sure and most importantly shout out our guest tonight breeze ever flowing. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, and uh, basically what we do here at Bridge the Gap, i explain the concept, is uh, we have people like you who are knowledgeable and know a lot of things because you've lived a lot of life and are able to share such knowledge nuggets with us, the peoples and then you have me who knows a lot less things and is sincerely curious and effectively what we do is we walk through your life story and we learn a bunch of stuff and then i'll learn something talking to the cats from new york city y'all do this thing in the middle of your sentences where you go nah i mean right and that's a real thing that a lot of people do but here's the thing yo i don't know what y'all mean in most cases because i'm from montreal quebec and I never even been to New York City one time. So what we do is we walk through your story and in a sense, we're kind of like explaining to the rest of the world. Like we got this lady from Norway who watches this stuff and all sorts of things. So as we go through your life, we get to also explain a lot of little hidden gems of hip hop and stuff, culturally speaking, from back in the day times to today times that most of us just can't know because we're not actually there. So with that, it really is a pleasure to have you here with us. I heard some stuff from back in the day. I heard some stuff from you from today. You are a sincerely talented MC with a crazy, crazy catalog of interesting stuff out there. So with that, thank you for being here with us today. And if it's alright with you, I can ask you my token first question that I'd like to start this off with.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Alright, so it's a bit of a story. And you know, just it'll all make sense at the end. So my girlfriend... Yeah. Is uh, washing the dishes and uh, she's listening to that black eyed piece on the I got a feeling Ooh. and whatever she's dancing around and she's washing the dishes and this is kind of recent right and I'm like yo that's something like she's doing chores and I'm like thinking yo I remember when we were in the club and everybody was dancing around in circles we were all turned up drunk as fuck 2 a.m. listening to the I gotta feel and, you know same track but now it's chores music which made me have this realization that all this stuff that people are turning up to today, all this fun music—it's just—it's just gonna become chores music one day, or exercise music, or pick a different vibe for the music as time goes on. The era and place of how the music fits into people's life changes with them because you still love that shit. But that, with that, got me thinking about my youth a little bit, and it made me realize that when it comes to like a musical journey, you don't really like start with like your preferences. It's not like when you're a teenager or 12. It's not a stretch in bobito. It's none of that stuff. It's like earlier, earlier. Like for me, it's like being five and my mom is listening to shitty disco tapes that she found at the garage thing where they did the bad versions of disco songs or, or like, you know, a bunch of other stuff like that. Or my dad had tapes and it was always tapes, right? Of Zeppelin or we would have the radio playing crappy techno. I mean, to me, it was crappy at the time. Now nah, I kind of fuck with it. But like techno at two in the morning on the night radios and stuff. So it was all these vibes and stuff in the car. I remember Krista Berg. That was a big one. And so all these different things. But it, that's the stuff that honestly I was forced to listen to. And if I think about my musical journey, that's the stuff where it really starts. So my curiosity is for you, Mr. Breeze Eva flowing. what is the sounds of like your super youth before you had control over the sounds in your life? What were you listening to as a young one?
1: Um, wow. Yeah, and that's the first time I've ever been asked that. Thank in, you. In, yeah, quite a few interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and as you were talking and, and as you brought up the memories of your mom, like I, I started like getting back and, you know, um, I'm thinking about the, the seventh floor apartment on uh, Broadway and 101st Street is uh, where I grew up. My mom was a Brazilian. She was a single mother um, raising me and my sister. She um, would always put on samba records every day, all day um and so the house would always be jumping with samba music playing in the background um and then as my sister who was four years older than me like she laid the groundwork by introducing me to disco like i grew up in the 70s i was born uh december eighteenth, 1970 and um so throughout the 70s as i got older my my older sister would buy records and we had this <laughs> this all-in-one cabinet and old older people would remember these things because the TV was in the middle and you would open it with like a little screen. <laughs> okay. <flock on> not.
0: <laughs> I know what that is too, though. I can picture it.
1: Yes. Yes. That thing. Um, so if you've ever seen it before, the TV is in the middle and it's this big tube TV, right? And then on top would be a record player and it'd be another like reveal drawer. Like furniture back in the days was no joke like it was all purpose um so there was a record player inside of it and then in there right next to it we'd have the stack of records um and so my sister would have the disco records and my mom would be rocking the samba and then i, I bought the hip-hop into the house as a little boy and that was me listening to the uh, the radio late at night um once twice a week eventually and um, I would I had a, a tape recorder, one of those big clunky tape recorders, and I would push it up against the speaker and have the volume like just loud enough for it to pick up the hip hop shows that were playing back in the days. Um, and then I would rock out to those tapes starting at like the age of nine. Um, and so that's, that's, that's how it all started for me.
0: So yeah, that's, that's, that's an amazing answer. Because you for us, it's like, unfathomable, honestly, in a way, right? Like, I have a version of sitting there with bad tech doing that. But like, first of all, we're talking about the seventies. Like we're talking about fresh disco records, right? Like what's it like, what part of New York are you from? I know you said street Um, names, but that meant nothing to me when you said it before.
1: (laughs) No worries. (laughs) Yo, my bad. Yeah. And you're right. This is, this is global. So um, uh, Broadway and 101st is in Manhattan. And that okay. was, um, you know, Broadway is Broadway. Broadway runs from Washington Heights all the way down. Um, Wait, uh, the, real, the, the Broadway Broadway. The Broadway Broadway. Um, and so I was up on the higher end of Broadway on 101st. And that was the Upper West Side of uh, Manhattan. Um, boom, yeah, boom, this is a beautiful fought, thing.
2: This is a conversation that I have with my friends all the time. You live on the cusp, right? 100 street to like 110 is that is it like i have these this argument with my other new yorker friends right and i i feel like only uptown people or people who pay attention to the map really understand which is yeah. like those 10 blocks they still consider it sometimes spanish harlem or harlem depending mm-hmm. on what side of the of you know the park you're on um and the and i'm just like no that's upper west side if you look on yeah. the map, that's the name of the neighborhood. Harlem finishes at 110th Street. So everything under there is Upper West Side, which is like a pretty aff- affluential neighborhood now, right?
1: Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, we got bought out long time ago. Like mm-hmm. back in the 80s, we got bought out of that neighborhood because we had moved from there to 102nd and Central Park. And even over there, it was still on the border because we was right up the block from Douglas Projects. And back in those days, like when, you know, I mean, crack era, like you would hear machine gun fire down the block. Like that's how it was living on Central Park West. Wow. And so now that's unheard of. Like you can't go anywhere near the park. Yeah,
2: no, now now that's unheard of. Now that's like what I'm literally going to tell Holden, like, Yo, when he come, cause he's coming to New York, and I'm gonna tour guide him, right? And I'm just yeah. like, that's totally an area that I'd take him to, and and he, he he's hearing what you're saying now, and he's probably like, hey, don't take me to where the no, the machine guns not, are not, <laughs> and, No,
0: no, for real. Like I'm sitting there going,
2: yeah, you're not gonna. It's
0: nothing like that. did right? Yeah, nothing like
2: this. Incredibly beautiful. It's a beautiful neighborhood yeah, no, now. I know, it,
0: but like that, also, he said he was the year he was born and i do have a decent understanding of a little bit of the history of the era and how certain things were a lot more different then than they are now plus i want to go fucking anywhere without somebody from the city holding my hand i'm not going to be real with you like that's just the kind of person i am i want to go to a place like new york city and have people from new york city show me new york city i don't want to go to new york city and google yeah That's me. Also, my girlfriend compliments your use of the reusable water bottle because that's really cool. Sometimes people use plastic water bottles, sometimes they use reusable ones, and that's really dope of you.
1: Man, I'm just trying to stay conscious of it. You I had a lot of time to uh, just sit down and think, right, as we all have. Um, So definitely try to be uh, more conscious of the intake and just hydrate more. So I, I try to keep this near me as much as possible.
0: That's really cool, though. I like that. That's health shit. Um, no, it's important. I know I say it like it is, that, man. but it's like real important stuff. Yeah.
2: Oh, Helps for the me. earth too, yo. Like there's just little things yeah. that we can do, you know? And something like that is definitely one of those things. Um, uh, uh, you know, changing your, not using those um, soaps with the little beads in them. These are just little things that it's just yeah. a, a simple adjustment that if it can help the environment even a little bit, it's a worthwhile like thing to do, you know? Facts. So I'm with some um,
0: yeah, So let's go back to your youth, though. Because, I mean, for you, it might not be, like, interesting to sit there and think about what it's like to be seven in these times. For me, it's super interesting to think about what it's like for you to be seven in these times, let's say. Because, like, you know, like, are you, like, in a place where there's all these parties and stuff happening all around you? Like, I don't know anything about the Upper East Side in the 70s. Like,
1: you can, it, Like, yeah, it's so cool. It, it, it's more the cultural thing right like i i, I was always around parties because you know my mom you know was part of the brazilian scene in in, in new york and you know they, it was always all about the house parties people would get together at different houses we would host parties at our house i remember when i got a little older i would try to sneak some uh from my mom's cabinet um just so i can uh you know feel feel a little burn um, so it, there was always a party. And I remember that there was the kid's room at the party. And so all the adults would be in the other, room. we'd be in that kid's room. Um, and, uh, you know, we just fall in the sleeping cabs on the way home. So, you know, mom definitely had a good time and, uh, it's crazy too. And I think about those days, like all the, all the secondhand smoke in the house, like nobody thought about any of that stuff. Like there was ashtrays on the, on the buses. Um, <laughs> it was it was loose um and uh, probably led to some of my bad habits later on but you know that, that's all part of the story right
0: no oh, but that's actually an important part of the story right you get yeah, yeah. exposed to something in an environment it develops into a bad habit maybe today people might question rules and why things exist right so as mm-hmm. knowledge nuggets to understand and to acknowledge that it had an impact on you like that's mad self-aware I I commend that. I don't think like any part of anyone's story is bad. You're an incredible person. I heard all of the music you dropped this year. There's not a single bar that you put out that was not wisdom filled or proactive or for your community and all these things. So if along the way, there might be bad habits, that's just part of the humanization of you as you get to this amazing place in life that you're at today.
1: Appreciate that, man.
0: It's the truth though that's why it's like always good to talk about the honestest stuff proper you know
1: absolutely but like I, I want to
2: hear right. more about this some um, this growing up with 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 the because I, I I was unaware that you were Brazilian and that's super interesting to me because I like my my mother's Nicaraguan my father's Puerto Rican and they grew up like I grew up hearing a lot of bomba in my house and I didn't realize until recently getting a little bit more in touch with my, like, what my parents would play, like, right? Growing up, I would always have, like, this very, like, I don't want to listen to what my parents listen to, you know, like, and especially growing up in the 80s, having, like, hip hop be around and so ubiquitous back then, right? I was very anti-everything Latin and my parents' culture and their music, because I was so entrenched in Bronx and New York City culture, right? Mm -hmm. And hip hop culture. Um, yeah. But like as I've recently gotten into like I'm coming to realize that wow, I did not realize like my parents had my sisters in um, in Bomba dance troops. and so yeah. like uh, if I'm not mistaken right I, I if I'm not mistaken, I believe Samba like bomba has its um roots uh, indigenous roots based in Africa, right musically? Yes, absolutely
0: can you expand on yeah. that yeah. a bit more because honestly i'm sitting here going what the fuck's a bamba um i don't mean it disrespectfully i just swear I've no never heard no it no before no, my here for. that's that's
1: exactly totally, totally.
2: what that yeah
1: it's it's the way that the the instruments uh were made and and the way that they were put together these were the slave instruments um like things like the beating bow and 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 those type of things that the way that the drums were stretched out like um and then they just adopted it and and infused some of the 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 latin culture into it um but it's 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 all built off of those african rhythms Mm. yeah and it's like hypnotic like it's some of the most hypnotic music ever you might not even like it but if it comes on um you you you, or maybe change that right you might not seek it out but if it comes on you probably like it Mm. it's just got this 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 kind of pull and gravity to it. it it's 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 amazing. And, and, and as you were speaking, right, like I was, I was forming the words to say the same thing because that was the impact of hip hop culture. It was a culture. It was already packed. It was put together. It was, it was bubbling. It was forming. Um, it, it was, it was active in seeking involvement, like wanting people to get into it and, and, and push it. Um, and when you're young and impressionable like for real like i I was like this is it um and and same feeling. just dove in and then and then i went on a completely different path where my sister really embraced the brazilian culture and you know she she's way more fluent than i am um she's she's been way more than i have um and, and she's just connected to the to that side of the family in the ways that I am not, um, because I, I I embraced this other culture that was emerging at the time, and 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 make no mistake, it was a culture. You know, there were there were rules to that society, like. Um, and uh, so, so know, if I understand, a lot of that currency was was the respect, yeah like
0: was it like weird then to be part of multiple cultures so you had to like almost pick one and ingratiate into it you couldn't like hop around i'm, I'm not, i don't know if i'm framing that right but
1: no you are because at first it was awkward right because you know I, I, my, I, my mom used to make me samba in front of people when they would come over like when i was a little kid like i remember like being like seven or eight and you know, my mom throwing on the, the samba record and saying, "You know, pulling me out," and I, I, I get my feet moving. I was killing it too. I was, <laughs> um, but then around thirteen, you know, I'm that kid. It's, 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 it's eighty two, eighty three. Um, the the, the hip hop is there in the, in the undertone. It's it's everywhere we walk around. I'm seeing it in the street. I'm seeing the trains painted. Like it was amazing. It was magical to me so you, know, you were like and it's calling me i
0: yeah. just want to like make sure everybody understands what he's literally saying here so like let's say when does hip-hop to you start like when does it start start
1: um for me 79 for me like as a nine-year-old starting to expand a little bit more and, and the other kids at school who are you know talking about things you know somebody's older brother put somebody on and and it took a while to get to us i mean for the older kids I mean, they were probably, you know, getting it back in 77, 78, as it was just starting to, to form up. So
0: what's the first hip hop song that you can remember being like, yeah, that's that, that's that shit.
1: Um, it was like a, 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 the first, like one of the first big crossover, a collabo songs that kind of stuck in my head um this would be like the, the, a pre-scenario kind of scenario it was um the, i think it was the force mds verse the fat boys on the staten island ferry i think that was the, the song was actually that was the premise of it so they were they were battling on
2: the staten island ferry
1: nice that's crazy. And um
2: I think you know, that sounds and, and, familiar. Like I don't know why some like like I feel like I've literally seen that as the track name somewhere before.
1: I I gonna have to search it out. Um and if somebody's doing it googling now, it, it maybe it's a different set of artists but it, it's a battle on the Staten Island Ferry for some D's was involved in it. I know it's for some D's. I think it's the Fat Boys. But it, it, it's that kind of song, right? Where you're just like, what, that even happened? Like, yes, that was happening. And that's when you started seeing these different uh, groups that, are, that were finding success individually, like doing these like crossovers and collabs. And, and that's where the connections are starting to happen. Um, and um, it, it became really interesting. And then right after that came the, the, you know, the crews, you know, and then the first crew that really had an impact on me was the Juice Crew um i was like pfft, molly mall's in control was like my my high school jam i remember i i had invested in a in a double cassette walkman that i bought from one of those japanese import shops that used to be on 72nd street and uh i spent my whole after school money on that one but um it was worth it until it got jacked from me in some class where somebody got it out of my
2: my drawer <laughs> yeah i understand <laughs> but I would exactly what control like. for other
1: people
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yo, honestly I'm this sorry. is amazing I got stuff, a little my no this one. is perfect you don't understand normally i have to try to trick people into doing what you're just magically doing this is it you're doing the show <laughs> properly this is uh we want knowledge nuggets yo for me it's mad helpful like even like the two months or whatever we've been doing this, my, my understanding of the foundational elements of what made hip hop special, why New York own like is the is the Mecca I will say. Like I understood it it was cool. I understood a lot, but as far as Wikipedia goes, right? Like as far as you can watch a documentary or something, right? Or or whatever. And that goes so far. But to hear you just describe being there at that time. Literally living those moments having things happen that other people rap about and stuff like you got to understand This is really important. I think for everybody. That's not from New York to hear you Describe this stuff because yo how many I started I did this thing with a 17 year old the same kind of thing I was talking to a 17 year old and They didn't even know how to fuck. I grew up They I was like the old guy in this conversation like proper old guy. and am like I'm like yeah there wasn't computers in my house growing up and he's like right like he couldn't handle that so that's why it's called bridge the gap because yo if me listening to your like it's not okay i have a good idea at this point of a little bit what it's like but every time i hear more it just paints the picture and everyone in the audience like yo when i asked about the samba thing before bamba or whatever another guy was like i want to know more too why because we don't know this stuff people don't talk about it you can't even google half this shit (laughs) So anytime you want and to even if, and interview.
2: even and the truth is and the truth is even if you could Google it right, you're not gonna you're not gonna get the full breadth of you know like sometimes you could read a sentence and depending on what's on your mind, it mm-hmm. doesn't even register, you know. Mm-mm. And then you read it at another time when you're incredibly vulnerable emotionally, and, and you don't even realize it. And you're reading something in depthly, not even realizing that you're giving it this much attention and then you read something in it and it just touches you and it's something that you've read before but it's because that reading sometimes Mm -hmm. doesn't do you the same service as hearing something like from somebody it's not even
0: just hearing it do you not see the smile on his face as he's describing this the pure bliss of thinking about the foundation of this (laughs) and yo like that yeah you can't just get that so you get as long winded or whatever. You can be as breezy and ever flowing as you need to be up on this exactly Z.
1: Right. <laughs> no doubt. That's what's up. All
0: right. So let's say you're like 12, 13. You're surrounded by hip hop. You've already indicated that you're paying attention to the graffiti arts. You've already indicated that you a dancer um so you're already ingratiated then in, and in at least three of these elements are you already into lyrics and rapping at this age is this already something you're interested in are you interested in the beat dj side of things
1: i i idolize the mcs that's what happened because i that's when i was coming of age like so when i was you know uh 15 um that's the, the 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 jump off of the of the lyricists, right? The the lyricist taking taking prominence before it was the, the DJ was still headlining, like it was it was just jumping off the you know uh, you know DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, but you know the DJ was the headliner in most of those scenarios, right? And um, and, and rightfully so, at, at the time it was the DJ that you know really got things off the ground and and made people pay attention to the level that brought it to where it is now right um but the MC took took the prominence and so as a 15 year old seeing like super confident super suave rock uh big daddy Kane, um super smart uh krs one you know providing me with the, with the, just a different perspective lyrically to pull me into you know exploring more and, and digging more into you know the real history of things um It had a a tremendous impact. Like, that was it. So then I I became a a fan of lyricism. But I still wasn't, like, writing seriously until, you know, I was, like, uh, 17 or 18. And at that point in time, uh, you know, we would play football games in in Central Park. And and, uh, I would write recap rhymes of the game. And I would just kick it to one or two homies afterwards. And, um, you know, both of them were starting to be like, yo, you're getting kind of good at this. Like, you might want to want to think about it. And then at some point. um, Hold up. You were, you were,
0: you were like rapping out. Was it like freestyles or were you writing But like recaps of the game?
1: I, I was writing recaps of the, of the. Of the, of the football games we was having on the Do weekend. you have, like,
0: a sample of what that would be like? Can you kick a little recap oh, rhyme?
1: Dude, I – man, I have no idea. Like, I wish I still had some of that stuff, you know. That's uh, fair. It is – you know, in, in between and, and during the rough times, like, you know, there, there was an eviction that happened where I lost a lot of uh, really important stuff and uh, all those all those old books, all those old memories, like, gone. But uh, you know, it, it's it's uh it was definitely one of those learns in in life that uh you don't want to repeat. And uh, but man, that those those rhymes, man, like uh, it, I I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking seriously like at all about being an MC. I was just having fun making lyrical recaps of these games. And I think that's when it was like the the what i had been intaking for so long was finally starting to seep in and of course like the the rhymes i can tell you this they were probably patterned after big daddy king because i, I would i would steal his his uh his rhyme pattern That's amazing <laughs> you know here's here's a, actually i kicked this verse on one of these releases this week this this year it was a. I i remember back in high school with the fellas writing rhymes for my man sean and kevin ellis and they would tell this little wannabe star he's on to something with it breeze form then i come to live it i used to listen to Kane. his flow i bit it the way he leaned on the first two hold on the third then on the fourth he hit it of course he did it on another level i'll never compare never be there just like there'll never be another breeze ever nowhere and there'll never be another you that's if you keeping it true. Um, so that was the, the verse.
2: That was
0: dope. Was oh, man.
1: Peace.
2: So Those those are those are those are the type of lyrics that, you know. Personally speaking, I always that's the shit that made me gravitate. So I mean, you know, MCs are we're always all preaching, you know, self, be your self type thing, yeah. but you're putting it into words that I don't think I've ever heard put in that way. You know, yeah,
0: that was pretty dope. My guy, that was amazing. You somehow compared yourself to a legend while not doing it in a way that will piss anyone else while also making your listener be part of the legendary status. That is actually kind of legendary. Big zoo says you're a great illustrator and you also love comics. Did that also start when you're young? Thank you, big zoo. You're always very helpful.
1: It did. It did. (laughs) I I got um... (laughs) him. um i uh i got bit by the comic bug in 1980. um i I went to um ps9 on 84th street and columbus avenue that's still upper west side but that's like more the swanky part but the public school was still there in fact uh my mom i think may have um exaggerated some things for us to go to school down there um and not where we where we live um so so we can enjoy something a little bit different but it was, a, it was a crazy mixed school. And every lunch break, I would go out with this dude, Robert Lee and and uh, Anthony B. And uh, Anthony was like, you know, Eastern European and Robert Lee um, was uh, Asian American. And, uh, you know, that was my squad. And we go to West Side Comics. Um, and then Robert started boosting from West Side Comics. And he would come with the bubble and me and Ant would work the two sides of the bins and then Robert would just grab clumps of back issues and just throw them in his coat. And then we would all just peace out like nothing was happening. Um, and so we would hit up West Side Comics on a regular um, while, while we were on that little spree. And, um, you know, eventually we just got shook because then we just kind of felt them, that eyes burning when we would start walking in
2: there.
1: <laughs> like they, they the paranoia burning. of
2: successful crimes. <laughs> <The> paranoia <laughs> that comes with successful crimes. Let me tell you something. You create this. You, you get enough, you get away with a crime enough times, dude, just natural paranoia just starts coming dude, about you. Just that's like, facts, uh, man.
0: I had to run shoplifting chocolate bars from the grocery store when I was a teenager. And yo, you just knew it. Like after a while, you're like, yo, there's some law of averages shit or something that's about to like kick in here and it's going to fuck me up. And then one day you like feel it. it might not happen to you, but then you might feel that hand on your shoulder and you're like,
1: yeah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, we were so, we were so, shook. <laughs> but we like 10 and 11 and that's, that's a part of New York that like, you know, like you start with the, with the corner store and that's your first place. And, and if they're sleeping over there, it opens the door. And I think every kid goes through a little boosting spree in in the city. It just is some some continue and make a career out of it, right? Like
2: <laughs> I definitely I definitely I I definitely uh, uh went through a boosting state. I was boosting toy cars at the McCrorys yes. in the Bronx on Allerton Avenue and I got caught and the dude um uh the dude that caught me there was another kid from my school there and my father was the superintendent of the building, and it was a senior citizen building, right? And so everybody at my school thought that I was a rich kid on the low, and then my dad owned the building, right? So there was yeah. a kid in the in the fucking place when I got caught robbing that snitched on me and told them where I live. And dude took me to my door and like brought me to my mom and my the the snitch kid, pointed me all the way out. Trash, but yo, all New York City kids go through a boost and phase. Yeah, I'm gonna say, that, I'm,
0: gonna, right. I'm gonna, say that that might also be a Montreal thing because I know a lot of us, a lot of us out there, chatted out a little bit. Yo, it's I mean, we got a million people here. Like, you got a lot of corner stores where you can get away with a thing, and then, then you get to the to the grocery store and you realize a hoodie with the pocket out, right? You, you just walk in with your hands pushed out like that, right? And you realize, yo, I can put a oh, couple yeah. little things in there. And then, yo, mm-hmm. I mean, I worked at the video store. Everybody like stole shit from there, too. Like, people just really like to steal it. I mean, when you're young, it's, it's adventure. Because, yo, there's that adrenaline rush, right? There's that. Oh, yeah. Oh. And everything feels like a victimless crime when you're young. Like, oh, it's a company. It's a store. It's like, whatever, whatever. It's not like whatever, you know?
1: Man getting back Wait. to school and divvying up from comics felt like the biggest reward ever but then that got me into um x-men and he had, he had gotten some back issues and it was the chris claremont john Byrne run on x-men so if you're a deep comic head this is an iconic run for comics period um i am and, a big uh, comic head and i'm really and gonna then, enjoy this part yeah so that that those comics sucked me in before i was like kind of interested but that line at the age of 10 um and so then i started buying more of the back issues into their run and it was right around the transition when uh, dave cochran was coming back to the book um and um that was still really really good i i i, I was enjoying the dave cochran return um that was when um you know they had the whole, whole um, shire thing and the and the um the star jammers were introduced. Um, uh, Colossus got killed the first of a dozen times. Like, um, it was, it was some good stuff. So I was sucked in and, and then I, I, I've been drawing since I was four years old. So outside oh. of music, like how that
0: the, start, the,
1: I just would scribble and draw on everything. I've drawn every single book that I had all my, um, my story books had like drawings inside of them. Um, you know anything that i could draw on literally i would draw on um that's that's just you know how it was coming out of me and i was always the kid doodling in the notebook in school on everything every single page not just a random doodle here and there like every margin on every single page in every class had drawings inside of it but i was able to keep up I, I wasn't killing it because I wasn't really invested. So I didn't really apply myself. Um, but I was easily able to do the, the test and stuff because I was reading the, the John Byrne Fantastic Fours through high school. And I don't know what kind of research he was doing, but man, he was digging into some uh, deep cosmic science around that time. And the verbiage that he would have Reed Richards leveraging throughout those pages was like some next level stuff so i had to become smarter to keep up with reading those comic books but i wasn't reading nothing else but top percentile for like reading so so with art and with the uh, hold, hold, with, hold on a second because yo, that's yeah. big
0: what you just said <clears throat> the comic books was mad smart with the language use so it forced you as a youth maybe you didn't care about stuff in a more formal way but it forced you to up your knowledge game to keep up with the comics now personally i'm interested in alternate education because i think a lot of the times people have trouble with schools because it's, it's kind of boring yeah and yeah. uh maybe using comic books you could teach science like just Absolutely. that's the first thing that popped into my head when he said that like yo if i could read a graphic novel that broke down photosynthesis and other such things um that would be kind of cool I mean, you can make it like really cool with plants sucking up sun. And
2: I, I could echo, echo his sentiments. I learned, I learned when my parents used to put me on punishment and take away my comic books and my baseball cards and the things that mattered to me as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. My father would make me read the Encyclopedia Britannica. Like that was yes. part of my punishment. Like you got to read this. We bought this. You're going to read it. We bought this for your education. You're going to read this. And what I would then do is look up all the things that mattered to me from comics. So now I'm looking up Cyclops. I'm looking up, and I'm learning about about uh, Greek mythology, right? And and yeah. um, and uh, uh, Greek mythology, even um, Norse mythology with Thor. Ooh, and and like looking, learning yeah. what a Wolverine, learning what animals were because. <laughs> What's a Wolverine exactly? Like what what what's a Wolverine? Like I, I this is a cool word. Uh, uh, and then uh, just words, period, like he was saying, po- uh posthumous, posthumous. Uh I don't think, yep. I still to this day don't know how to I pronounce it correctly because I've always just read it in comics. <laughs> so there was no audio telling me this is how you pronounce this word. It's now that I've watched enough videos where I hear people say posthumous. But I'm like, okay, so I guess it's posthumous. It's post-humous? But to me, so I'm like, how it's it's pronounced?
0: Posthumous. isn't it posthumous? I thought I've heard was... a lot of
2: people, I, mean, I, I can't wait. I've heard a lot of educated people, people say posthumous. That's so I weird. I always thought it was posthumous. I
0: thought it was posthumous. Yo, y- y'all can weigh in in the comments wherever. I don't really fucking know, to be but honest.
2: To, to echo, just to echo what Breeze is saying, as a fellow, grow up in New York City, um, uh, uh, uh um, uh, around all this culture right and then mm-hmm. to also be entrenched in comic books because it challenges you in ways that mm-hmm. like maybe the school system isn't is like that's i totally could relate to that i totally can, can relate absolutely
0: you believe it or not the Dude, comment went both directions encycl- with that
1: <laughs> but but the encyclopedia of the panic apart right like looking up those characters, like I'm picturing like the way they had the images on the page and then the descriptions underneath it. Like, and encyclopedia Britannica was a big investment for parents back then. Like it was, it was big. Like, you know, if you had, then they were the, that was, they were, that was different than the world book. It wasn't a world book Britannica was like the next level that's like nowadays investing in a decent computer for your kids.
0: Hmm. I have seen the books, but I have not had the books, but, uh, I can appreciate how cool it would be to like, be able to do that and to be able to get that knowledge on and to be able to like, have the comic books incentivized. This is a cool chat. Like, this is really like what I like getting into is cause you know, context too. like, I sit there and go, you know, my whole like education with Google this, like Google came out in 98, right. And I start high school in 2000. So you just got to understand, like, the whole thing for me was always how to internet. Um, Yeah. Yo, I have a question from the comments, and you might be extra qualified to answer it in light of our comic book chat. It's from my dude, Nuclear Convoy. He goes, so it sounds like y'all were Marvel fans, not DC. How important is it that these stories were based out of NYC, too?
1: No. No. DC was definitely in there um, because the, the second comic that grabbed me was uh, the new Teen Titans by uh, Wolfman and Perez. Mm. And, and that was another one of those super iconic runs leading up to one of my favorite comic books of all time, which was X-Men Teen Titans, drawn by Walt Simonson, my favorite artist when it comes to dynamic anatomy, and inked by Terry Austin, who, had, who was a part of that. Iconic X Men run. Um, uh, it, the only thing that could have been better is if um, you know maybe Walt did the breakdowns and then Perez did the finishes and then Austin inked it all. Um, and a, and a, and a John Byrne uh, variant cover. I would have gone for all that. Um, so so yeah, DC was was definitely in there. I'm sorry, and, and, and I, I forgot the other part of the question already because I, I had to speak on that one because that that comic series spoke to me as a teenager growing up in the 80s seeing this group of teenagers trying to work it out like they really tapped into something when they put that book together
0: yeah my guy says you have great tastes in artists with a capital great like, yeah, it's really like crazy. This, I don't think he's watched a lot of my interviews and he pops in here and I see like the, I think it's a transformer behind you and the dude's got like a thousand of them in his room back at his mom's crib and he's obsessed with comics and hearing you. And I'm like, this is crazy, great timing. Like it was meant to be that you went in this direction with this conversation.
1: Man, it's a good conversation, man. I appreciate y'all having me again.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's cool because like we're, we barely even like touched the eighties, you know? And <laughs> we've like we're this like, it's been so much time. This is like perfect for me, right? Like to me, it doesn't matter yeah. if I have to talk to you seventeen times, if each time is gonna be as delightful as this. You know, it's just a pleasure. Like this is an amazing way to spend a Saturday.
1: Awesome. Sick. All
0: right. So you already have Echo. established in is so you're you're into drawing, you're into dancing, you're into rhyming. You're into comics. You're so you're into lore and literature. Do you read books also? Are you also into like the
1: reading? Um, I, I go through um, reading phases, well, where, where I can jump into some sci-fi and 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 go down some rabbit holes. Um, and so I think the first time I did that was was the Foundation series, you know. But I would read. I, I read the entire series like within the month's time. Like so, I'd go through one yeah. book in like three or four days. I just wouldn't put it down because I just you know, I don't I don't have patience for (laughs) for for books for the most part, because I want to get to the resolution. Mm -hmm. And now I don't find myself with those big chunks of time to digest as much as I could. But I I, I need to get back to it because it practices a different kind of discipline. The only thing I've done is like, business and, and, uh, and and those type of um, books to, uh, you know, support me with, um, you know, job growth but that that's that's really the only place where i've focused attention on books recently
0: that's amazing i mean the fact that you like even are able to point out that it has a kind of discipline to it i like that i like because you know i read a lot of books in the last few years and the discipline is literally the best way to describe how you read books in volume Mm -hmm. you have to dedicate time to it and you have to give up netflix (laughs) i promise okay absolutely she, she gets an hour or whatever fair because sometimes it's a wise move to make sure she's happy like all the time mm-hmm. but like you know, it takes a lot of like sacrifice to actually pull that off so i respect what you're saying a lot because it's very like aware and real with it um so you're like said around 17 ish i think that you started to get more serious with rhyming and I wonder why yeah. you started to get more serious with Rhyme. Oh, you're right, because you did the, let me see, the recap thing happened, people said you were cool with it, and then what happens?
1: Um, and then my homie plugged me into um, Cassius Clay Mack up in the Bronx, and he was a producer. And he was like, uh, I think I think, uh, you need to meet, meet one of my boys here. Um, and it was, um, it was, uh, after i had been doing like some open mics during freshman year of college and um (laughs) getting served in um mc battles in um college parties because that would happen like you'd go to the college parties and then every now and then like they throw on some beats and and the heads would just battle like right there in the spot and and like it, it was battles were everywhere it, it wasn't a stage thing. It wasn't organized. Like You were always prepared to be called out or to call somebody else out. And I was brash, and I just started rhyming. Of course, I thought I was the best. And I would go into other people's schools and call them out. And you don't do that because it's their school for one, right? And they could be the worst rapper ever, but they're going to get loved because it's in their school. Um, so you got to find a way to dismantle them. And if you can't do that, you are not winning on their ground but of course I thought I could do that. Um, and so after getting served a lot there, but learning and then coming back and then holding service, right. Um, that's where you start getting the respect. And that's when my man was like, I got to connect you to my boy, Cassius Clay Mack. He's got a little in-home studio. And, um, that's when I started working with a beat maker from the Bronx, uh, Cassius Clay Mack actually went on to, to then produce, uh, a track on Biggie's second album. Um, uh, and the, 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 I think it's Niggas Bleed or Niggas, um, one or the other. Um, but he produced that track on that on that album. Eventually, that's what he went on to do. Um, but he was like a hungry, young beat maker. He had a little four-track recorder in his basement, a um, little shore mic connected to it. And he was just looking for an MC to work with. But he was really into music theory. And, and, and he, he picked up on the formula and, and, and he's a true Bronx native and, and being the birthplace, like he he was keyed in. So he was like, here's how you lock it in. And he had me writing the, the, the eight bar intros, 16 bars, eight bar hooks, 16 bars, eight bar hooks, maybe four bar bridge, 16 bar, bring it out. Um, He gave me such strict guidelines for the way that I was putting songs together back then um that it 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 really helped me you know develop as an artist plus we were trying to get the best quality we could out of the four track
0: i saw a facebook post recently that said there were no bridges in hip-hop are there bridges in hip-hop
1: yeah there is who said that
0: i don't remember i sincerely don't remember
2: what like bridges like yeah yeah Yeah, like like a uh, musical bridge
0: like so i saw somebody say that in a i don't remember who said it i'm not gonna lie i saw it on facebook and i was like hold up breeze is talking about like back in the day times and specifically used the term bridge and i'm like i know what a bridge is and i believe there were bridges but i stayed out of that because i'm trying not to argue on facebook and waste time right like it's not worth it but i saw that and it popped out at me and i'm a little bit going wait there are bridges, right? He just said that. Yeah. Okay, so I, no, I just wanted to dead that because I think Breeze Ella Flowing knows a lot more about original hip hop than a lot of us do.
2: Yes, yes, no, absolutely. There are absolutely bridges in hip hop. That's not a le- legit. I I use them. I am not the the. I'm not the guy that invented using bridges in hip hop. Right. Like, no, it's not- it's been there since. Always, yeah. pretty much, I'd imagine. Like, And, uh,
1: and it comes in a, a lot of different forms, right? Like the, the scratch break right before that last verse is essentially the bridge. It, it takes you over there, right? Um, so it, it, it's you're, you're formatting it that way, and then it opens up that four or that eight. Normally a four, if you want a, a, a quick transition for something different, um, but you just want to change it up. Even if it's just like stretch out the beat and extend it a little bit and hit that, then then Dan, Dan, and then like drop it again um there, there's all sorts of little little right places to put those things that um that 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 are universally formatted to be appealing when people listen to them because the way that people conditioned to listen to music from the motown era coming out of that um and so oh, essentially the, huge. the best hip-hop was basically formatted around that same kind of formula And a lot of those old Juice Crew jams were formatted in a similar fashion.
0: Yo, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. This is actually big. Do you guys hear what he's saying? Because we're talking about like original hip hop is effectively, and we're saying the stuff that did well, we'll call it, stuff that maybe people love today. Effectively took successful popular music of another genre, formatted and structured it in a way that would be appealing appealing to listeners, and use that magic to create appealing sounds ignoring perhaps a little bit personal ego and how they feel like things should be in order to make sure that there's more accessibility within their music. And that's an idea that stems from the eighties and stuff.
1: Yeah. It's the tail end, right? It's when, it's when the tighten up started happening. It's when um, you started seeing a little more crossover success and the, and the, the songs that were achieving that were the ones that were fitting the format. Now, the, now some of the best songs, like you know, you, you think about my melody, and and when that dropped, and like, at those were in sixteens. Like Rob was just going until he was done, until he felt done, until it felt like it was done, and that's that's the essence that 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 we picked up on, and we were like, that's that dude right there, right. Um, as a 15-year-old as a on the bus going out to, uh, you know, one of them summer camp trips or something like that. Um, you know, like, like he, there was nothing like that. But then the crossover success came in the formatting. And then when they started doing the format, that's when the video started. They started investing in the videos. So most of the early videos that you see for a lot of these rappers, you, you'll hear the formatting in those videos but um you know they, they didn't make they didn't make the video for my melody when that came out it was just rocking on the radio and it was it was moving that vinyl um but that that was an amazing jam i think it would, it was better than some of the, the more formatted songs that came out later you know
0: no but like i agree with you and it like, secures so what happens sometimes we have these conversations in our 2020 something perspectives right where what's good what's bad what's proper because we see people make choices that are effectively pop marketing moves and perhaps they work better, but it's not as maybe appealing as say, the sonic soundscape of a great, brave underground track like a Rakim would have been, right? Like that shit's yeah. fucking fire. It really is. But like, I'm sure there were a lot of people that also tried to do it, Rakim did, in some way that nobody's heard of to this day. And Rakim happened to be like the one that did it, right? And everyone else ended up going maybe here or there and making some choices along the way because there's business attached to it. So I think there's this weird rose colored view that all the people of the golden era, as we put it, were just like completely never willing to make pop choices. And I feel like that was never true, but it's kind of hard to like describe that to people who don't know a lot about it, but you're just like, yeah, they did that, and like we fucked with Rakim, and yo, looking back, everyone knows that one more than say a lot of the other ones. But you need more than just the Rakim to push an industry.
1: Yes, absolutely, and that, but they all, they all, they, it all followed suit, and it all followed, you know, the the, the same thing, and then you know, um, it, it it evolved, and you know, it changed after that. But uh, you know that that's when either commercial success is going to is going to start to change and, and alter things in, in a lot of different ways, you know? Um, and to your point, like there was so many amazing MCs out there, like so many, like we're, we're just in the city. Um, and, and, and it was, it was such a special thing to be, um, because it, there was a, a a, a the, the 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 main angle in the 80s also was um it wasn't the the mimicry that i've seen in the past two decades right it it was your your angle was your uniqueness that was your selling point right it was what is your angle and and, and then you would you would build this universe around these characters that you created right and some people went really far right um you know where where they had to like you know really fit these different stereotypes within their groups but you know they were unique and and they had a a different angle from everybody else and that was encouraged at that time um so that was what was special about wanting to be an MC or, or calling yourself an MC because you're like hey I have got something special I've got my own voice I got my own angle um here it is um and you uh, we you were becoming your own world. superhero that's
0: amazing
1: exactly
0: and that would be to be an mc
1: absolutely
0: now would you say that's different than being a rapper
1: um it 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 is different it's it's um because it's it's for me mc embraces more of the the cultural aspect of it and that means you are a participant in the culture um you know there there are some amazing people who can who can write lyrics really well um but i, I don't know if i i just put them down in, in the in the term rapper because of the the stigma attached to just that word um especially by some of the purists right um so there, i think the differentiation is like there's there's lyricists and then there's mcs more so than there's rappers and MCs. Like there's some people who write really great lyrics, but they weren't out there. They mm-hmm. weren't in the ciphers. They weren't jumping up when we walked into, you know, the room screaming, who won a battle? They, they weren't like, they weren't, they weren't in it to that extent. Um, they weren't, they weren't at different open mics. They weren't, um, you know, uh, w- w- in different boroughs, like rocking in different, in the cut spots, like rocking Wills up on 125th where he would make his mixtapes with MCs who would come through, like they never touched that, right? But they were around just writing lyrics. Um, so, but that was where the culture was growing and that's where cultural exchange was happening. Um, and so that to me is the, the differentiator. And and, and and as it expanded and evolved past and after that, right? Like, um, you know, culture is where you, where you make it, where you connect and where you spread that. Um, with others and and you can make that culture or you can join that culture but odds are it probably already exists in most major cities and then if it doesn't like it's easy to get people together because hip-hop just pulls people together like that and gives them a place where they can just uh feed off each other with a very special and unique kind of energy with the kind of music we do
0: yeah i love what you're saying because it's all true to me at least like i do i agree with everything um we're actually trying really hard to not just myself but a bunch of us to like kind of pull off a bit more of an organization to the anglo hip-hop scene in montreal so, and honestly it just is like that it's this beautiful thing where people come through and everybody's got this unique talent and every there's so much great music you know too and everybody has these voices and ideas that they get to share in so many different walks of life and yeah some of it might be more hip-hop some of it might just be more rappers but just to watch this blending of stuff happen i think is pretty cool But, um, I think your, your, your just insight is so cool. Like, I know your life is also cool, but like your insight is, is you, man, I just watch you talk about stuff on YouTube. I'm not even going to lie. I would just totally watch that. (laughs) Um, nah, it's cool, man. Like, it's, it's like you hear it in your lyrics, but like hearing you just expand on stuff, man, it's nice. Um, so basically you link up with the producer dude we learn about the structuring yeah. of songs and how what happens at that yeah. point do you start like putting out music into the world what year is this also um, so that we can frame it
1: man um you know if my mom's did her thing right but growing up in a, in a single parent household and then you know with the old school mom you know there, there wasn't a lot of talk you know about anything too deep or, or anything, you know, the past was always like this mystery to me. Like she wasn't she wasn't bringing up nothing. She wasn't talking about nothing. Um, it wasn't that kind of an open conversation relationship with moms, right? Uh, um, and so I made, you know, some, some some uh, you know, odd decisions as I look back, but uh, I, I got with somebody around that same time that I'm starting to make music with my man Mac. And um, the demo tape is starting to circulate and um we started a group um that he was producing for us and and uh, it was it was the we called ourselves the group home um (laughs) right around 1991 and then uh i remember we got a call from somebody um and and it 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 sounded like it could have been you know that maybe even but somebody called us from group home was like y'all need to stop calling yourselves group home um and um they were calling from, a we have, that's when Caller ID first came out. They were calling from the offices um, of the company. So then we were like, oh man. So, you know, right after we started seeing all the Group Home promotional stickers, so we had to change our names from Group Home to um, the Funky Street Urchins, which was just terrible, but we did it anyway. And um, it was me, my man Rock Stay Pood, my man Foo Live, um, we were like a leaders of the new school kind of kind of type of band. Um, we got our demo tape over to Stretch and Bob. They let us come on. Uh, hold on, you gotta talk and a little bit more about it, that. I, I literally the compliment just they gave us was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because I don't I think I... they was clowning us on the low, but they was being really cool about
0: it. So yeah, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so stretching bobito to you makes a whole lot of sense. For me, People kept saying it. I'm like, hold up. What's a fucking stretch and barbito? I know the answer now. Last Saturday, we watched the documentary about uh, stretch and barbido, So now yeah. I know what it is to be a stretch kid and a barbito kid. So when Big yeah. Zoo said he was a, a barbido kid, I didn't know what he meant. Then I heard about that. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I've heard Big Zoo rap a whole bunch of times. That makes total sense to me now. Yeah. So... With that, why don't you share a little bit about an experience like that, like actually meeting them and going through that whole, like, or whatever. Just talk about that, you know, and how important that is so that people can understand actually how cool that really is.
1: Oh, man, I, I just remember that night, like, um, you know, riding the train over um, up, up, up to Uptown Manhattan, the one train up there to where the studio was at all the way uptown. And it was like in this old, like, kind of like, um, it was like a campus, but it looked like a, like a, a church and we had to, like go downstairs. And it was just a cool waiting area and all these cool cats hanging in there. And it's me and my boys. And this is our first time, like on any kind of platform. Right. Um, and now I'm like 20 and, uh, you know, just excited as all get up. Um, and they call us in the, in the studio and they, they you know, they, they just ask us about our music and we, we, you know, go through our spiel because our angle was, you know, we are the group home and, you know, we, we, uh, we, um, you know, my one dude was like the core chester of the group. He was like the funny dude. Remember then Roxy Pooh was like super serious. I was like the lyrical, lyrical dude. Um, so we each had our role in the group and then we started spitting and um, we did pre-prepared songs right so we we literally did routines up in there we was like doing each other's fillings and like doing like leaders of the new school type fills um and so when we left they were like yo they was doing routines yo that was special
2: <laughs> um but we
1: were like super excited. We we took that as love. Like we were like, yo, we just got that. And then all the homies were like, yo, we heard you on Stretch and Bob. Like it was like, you know, top of the world. Like it, it, it was nothing like it. Um Yeah, and I gotten to go back there many times since, right? And, and 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 that, that's a blessing in and of itself. Um, but that first time was like, yo, know, it was it was like and it was good to do it with the homies, but I think that was also um one of the things that I had eventually come to learn that, you know, the, the producer, even though he went with the, uh, the group idea, he didn't really want to do that. Um, and he, and, and, he had always wanted me to just do my own thing. Um, but, uh, I think throughout my early career, like there was always, uh, uh, uh I, I always felt like, you know, I would work better as a part of a group than, um, than doing my own thing. And I think that, you know, maybe it was part confidence thing, but also like, um, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of family here. And, you know, oftentimes you got a crew, like that's that's like your your family and you really, you know, you, you want the best for them uh, along with the best for yourself. Um, but it's hard to get it all. And oftentimes people don't want to collaborate with you when you come with a lot of baggage. Um, and so uh, definitely some learns from early on, but that's the earliest memory was me bringing the crew through um but you know sometimes you reflect on it and you're like you know what, what what could have been if it had just been me on a on a solo tip like focusing on just self from back then and then once you're established you can you can work some other things out so um you know it's it's uh it's it's just uh as i reflect on it right like all these thoughts start coming up no but and, these are uh,
0: like really important thoughts right because there's a lot of people yeah, today man. that don't know how to approach things Like a lot of people, like if you were to say to me, is it better to be in a crew or not? I don't know. I did this really solo thing for a while. And the truth is, maybe I would have been smarter to work with people. Maybe I would have learned a lot of lessons in life working with people with regards to compromise and having to deal with people at that age that I had to learn later on in life. Whereas if I was the star of my own show, as I was the whole time, it was a little bit harder to learn how to work with people later on in life. So maybe there were blessings in the situation that you had, because there's no way you work with two other people, everybody playing a role and didn't have to learn a little one, two about politicking in the process.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Listen, that's, that's, I, I appreciate you for bringing that up because I, as I, as I think about it, right. And I wouldn't want anyone that I've ever worked with to, to feel any, any kind of way about it. And, and, uh, and I have no remorse for it because of the skills that it taught me it was just that right. Um, and oftentimes I would, I would lead these, these, uh, these groups or these, or these teams and, 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 uh, you know, I learned from each experience, you know, like a different, different lessons in leadership. And, and, and currently that that's, that's my profession right now. And I'm, I'm really good at what I do, which is, which I'm thankful for. Um, but a lot of that was transferable skills from having been in those type of situations and working with so many different personalities, like, and, and, you know, artistic personalities are some of the strongest personalities <laughs> to try to build consensus with. You know, so if you can get a group of six, seven, five, whatever it is, however many, on the same page and moving in the same direction, like you have developed some really solid leadership skills.
2: Leadership skills. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say, legit. It's oh it's another gosh. people don't understand when dealing with our community and if you're able to get us organized you that's another type of leadership that's a whole nother level it's it's presidential type of like qualification people don't realize you know like it's very difficult it's not easy to get and then artists us as artists oh my gosh Get it even harder
0: yeah, yo, I have big respect for that. Honestly, trying to trying to deal with people is not my forte in life. I'm learning on the fly, real fucking quick. I did a whole interview with Iron <laughs> Solomon and didn't smile. I did, I forgot to smile the entire fucking thing. So like, you're seeing. I actually have to sit there. Okay, make sure to. I heard him laugh, smile. Make sure to smile. Yo, know, that's that's the you know. It's about like skills I'm learning on the fly, in moments like yeah, that, man. because it's important stuff and uh so it's cool to be able to be able to even just sharing that with us right so you're reflecting back on life right and everyone does that right that's a huge thing and then the fact is there are multiple ways to perceive a moment and sometimes what happens with us when we reflect is we get fixated on a perception and we don't mm-hmm. always see the other perceptions so i don't know about your world in the universe etc but just being able to look at your life and have multiple perceptions kick in is just a blessing to everyone because it can remind us all that regardless of how we see things it's just a perception of the reality yeah man all right so you basically went to stretch in bobito with your peeps and are you also performing in a more formal way or is it still battling in the streets are you all making albums like you got to understand for for you it's like a blitz of like your life for me it's like i mean there's a lot of possibilities and tears of what could have happened over that little period of time you're describing like i don't fucking know are you like hanging out with people's like i don't know anything right like
1: Dude, I'm I'm um I I was the a sober MC for a long time, but I was rocking with my man from Washington Heights. Was in my crew. We'd go up to Thayer Street. Um, around 1991, uh, he started uh, introducing me to the Magical Leaf, and um, you know the, the whole MC game transformed it to something completely different. We were doing music seminars um in 92 93 94 um new music seminar um what's a music you know, seminar? world music seminar um, so-and-so's sister is connected to so-and-so has a seminar seminar like whatever the seminar was that that's a, that's where you went to connect with people there was no internet so was seminar
0: seminar, seminar being like a bunch of people listening to a talk is that what you mean by the seminar talks.
1: Talks. the bigger ones were organized into multiple events so there'd be like events where they'd listen to your demo and give you feedback and like ice tea would be on the panel and then chastise me for being too eager because i had only started rapping a few years earlier and telling me that i had no idea um what i was talking about um i was so pissed at that seminar session right there uh, but it was the, some of the best advice that anybody had ever given me but he was telling me this from up on the panel
0: Yo, cause like even my guy Ismail is like interesting. Like yo, I don't know anything about what you're describing. This is literally the first I've heard of these musical seminars. Cause yo, I can see the the Facebook live versions of these things and what it turned into 20 years later. I can tell you how to recreate this on Twitch in like t- in an hour or two. So I could tell you all about how to do this now. But it's so fascinating to know that this actually stems from something.
1: Dude, I'm gonna give it to you just like this. Think of Music Comic Con. <sighs> Wow, and not and not South by Southwest, but South by Southwest may be the closest that you can come to the the feeling of the the seminars that used to happen. There was new music. There was how can I be down down in Atlanta, um, and these there would be multiple shows going on around it. The new the music seminar Battle for World Supremacy, which I was not good enough for back then, but I got good enough by the time Blaze came out. Um, but that was the battle to be in. Like just seeing like Grim Reaper, Judgmental from Chicago, jump up in there and just tear people up. Um, supernatural in the battle for world supremacy. Like so these were all battles. X Men, Rock Raider, battle for world supremacy. Like so. Yeah, hold was, up, hold up. This is all that battles. Were part of the seminar. So the seminar yeah, was like these, a conference, and then the first like big level
0: battles so so uh, we got to break this down because again no Mm -hmm. at least i never heard about this so i want to make sure i don't sound like this for the nice guy um so you got the seminar and we'll call this like a conference like where a company rents a hotel and shit we'll just like for whatever and then throughout the day there's a schedule of events and shit that's going on and within that schedule of events you have talks maybe listening sessions where like Mm -hmm people of of the industry are congregating and linking up with people like yourself on the come up so in a sense it's like fucking the youtube conference vidcon it's literally like vidcon the youtube conference Mm -hmm. okay okay um and within that realms is this battle rap culture that's kind of brewing as these different events are happening because you know if we think about battle rap right we haven't gone this far back yet on this show one time yet. The earliest anyone's ever really talked about is like 2000, right? So you're like dropping some shit that's going all the way back, all the way back is what it sounds like to me, yep. unless I'm misinterpreting the situation.
1: No, 93, 94. Wow. That's crazy knowledge nuggets right there.
0: Okay, so you're at the musical seminars, and you're competing in this battle rap circuit that is kind of coming Oh no, life. no, I, I, I
1: couldn't even get on the card back then. I, I had no crowd okay. yet.
0: <laughs> I love your humility, my guy. My didn't
1: happen till around 9596 is uh is when I finally started making a little bit of a dent. Um but before that, I was just I was like please listen to my demo. And and like yo, you would package your demo tape like we made when we were group home, we made little houses. We would cover over the the, the McDonald's Happy Meals and we we made it look like a house, and we would put, like, a piece of chocolate in there, put our demo tape, photos, stickers. Like, you made it a big deal because you wanted that A&R to listen because most of them tapes ended up in a big pile, and if they wasn't presented right, nobody was listening to it.
0: Man. Yo, do you know how cool that is that you're sharing this, right? Yo. Because I think, like, people have this glamorized view of the past where people didn't have to do shit like that. Like, somehow that wasn't part of the game back in the day. No, and I swear it is because I talk to people in the role that I'm in a lot, and I observe a lot of things, so I'm not trying to name names or be a negative nilly or anything, but there is 100% this idea that people weren't doing things like that that is fucking floating out around there. So it's actually really, like, for me... Like, hearing you say this shit right now, oh my gosh, in the meta conversations of my life, I have like, you don't know how grateful I am that you're sharing this with me.
1: I'm kind of happy you letting me let this out, man. At least this is being, uh, you know, added to the annals, right? You know, someday somebody's going to come back and pin it all together, and hopefully this could uh, fill in some of that. Ah. (laughs) This should be written on the walls with some zoo. (laughs)
0: I love this. This is a great chat, Honestly, Breeze. I uh, I'm really enjoying this. You're a fucking. You can feel like your leadership, educational tones of this. It's like you understand the vibe of what we're going for, and you're just running with it. And that's perfect. That's what we love here.
1: Hey man, this this is like I said, it's an awesome platform to have. Thank you again, man. Thank you again.
0: Honestly, it's more our pleasure. I must say that for real. Like it's just a gift, yo. Like we, I. I did album reviews for like four years. I mean, I still kind of do them, but like I've been loafing cause this is way more fun. And people would like tell me to Google things a lot as I'm like talking about New York or albums as I'm talking about this and that's. And like, I tried, I stopped trying. I went through a phase where I tried to Google bars and I tried to do it a lot. And then I had to stop because, yo, unless there's some back-ass fucking forum that happens to have a debate on that shit somewhere contextualizing some hidden fucking shit that doesn't exist anywhere, nine times out of ten, it's a waste of time. And then you end up with Urban Dictionary. So if it's on Urban Dictionary, okay. If it's not, like, it's a waste of time. So having a guy like you explain things and having all the people, especially, like, yo, shut out Flaco Bayo, man, because without him, obviously, we wouldn't be here having this conversation and all of his insight. It you know, makes me better at what I do, and it helps me understand the, both the music and all the choices people make in the music better. And that's something that's really hard to find, is the history of why people make choices. Yeah. Um, but you still seem to have gone from... You're, you're going through... You're participating in it, too. So you're, you're there, and you're showing love that's important. And mm-hmm. you're handing out tapes with houses and you put effort into that, but you're present. So you're making that effort to be there, which means you probably had to spend some money and put dollars in somebody's pocket to get there.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh Ooh. yeah. Oh yeah.
0: It also means um, it's not free but... back then either to do things. Sorry.
1: I'm kind of down. You paid to go to the seminar and the seminar was expensive, right? Um, you paid to go to the events afterwards <gasps> because they wasn't always included. Um, and and you're paying your dues like you're just you're just trying to get on like soon after the seminars um the lyricist lounge started popping off and so then i'm paying my dues there too right i'm showing up at uh at 7 p.m knowing they ain't even loading in until about 9 30 right um but i'm there at 7 p.m and there's already five people ahead of me in the line
0: you're on top you're early
1: yeah and I don't get to touch the mic until, um, 1 30 in the AM when most of the crowd left. Um, because I just, you know, wasn't up there yet and I, and I had to pay my dues. And so, you know, by the time they got them to, to me on the list, it was like, always oh, super late night, no one left in the, in the spot. And, um, you know, I'm trying to light it up as best I can so you know, the, the, the seven or eight people left in the room will, will, uh, will vibe with me when I show back up. Um, and so that's going on also around that time. We're still shopping that demo tape. We, we were getting feelers, but no one's really biting. Um, and then life hit and, um, you know, it, it hit really hard. And uh, I had to fall back from uh, everything for a little bit. Um, fell off the scene for like a, a good, two years, uh, had to deal with some, some personal matters. Um, and finally my man Cassius Clay Mack hit me up like, yo, um, I know you don't rhyme no more, but I made this beat. And that's when he hit me with the beat for forsaken the, and if you never heard it, it, it had this vocal hook that went, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he had like the best piano loop ever for it. Uh, And I just kind of like, like wrote like a couple of different, different stories to this beat and, um, the, 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 uh, two perfect, like 24 bar verses and they just fit really good on it. And I sent it, not sent, I'm thinking I'm sending it to him. I went to his crib and recorded it because he didn't send anything back then. And that's when he had first gotten, um, an ADAP, (laughs) which was a big deal in, um, 95.
0: Stop and can you explain what that means?
1: yeah it was uh, basically vhs tapes were being um leveraged to record vocals and they could record um up to eight tracks comfortably uh with really good quality plus it was the the digital strip allowed you to uh queue up different regions for the first time in ways that you couldn't do with the four track before that what do you mean so because um uh the VHS tapes have the um, the digital code on it where you can line them up. You can, so you can like you can edit a lot more efficiently on a ADAT. So you could bring me back to the top of the track or top of the verse or wherever it was, and like automate that for the first time. With the four track, I had to hit it from top to bottom. I could not miss. There was no punching in
0: so this dot era is effectively when it goes from you have to be able to one take your shit to you can like actually come back in at another point or am i mistaken for the it? home
1: studio for the home studio yeah we're talking about there was always the studio that you could yeah. pay for to go but to we're it, talking and, the and home we studio stuff
0: because that's the more interesting yeah. things everybody knows that the fancy yeah. studios can do the fancy studio stuff But y'all were like the inception point of golden era greatness that we idolize and fetishize today everywhere that's not New York City, right? Like that's the shit. Like that's where it's at. So you're describing not just what you're doing, but what everybody that probably anybody I ever listened to was going through some version of as well. Yep. That's why it's fucking cool.
1: And each, each home lab had a really different sound. Like Cassius Clay Mac was like a master with nothing from before that. Our four-track joints would, would knock. Um, so when he got to ADAT, that was it. We stopped paying for the studio that we would go to after recording the four-track stuff. And we just started doing everything in his crib. But that song in particular was one that, you know, he had some partners who also wanted to you know, get more involved in the uh, the, the music game. And, and one of them was a lawyer by the name of Carlos. Another one was uh, Sean Prez, who went on to uh, start doing promotions for Bad Boy. And he's like the president of promotions of Bad Boy now, right? Um, so so Sean and 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 Mac used to always work together to throw parties. There was Sound Plus Rhythm Productions. And I would help Mac carry crates into the parties and throw parties at Demerara's. And, you know, different spots in the cities. We did a lot of five dollar hollers. Um, Hold on, what's a five dollar uh, holla?
0: I mean, it sounds like it's pretty it, much in the name.
1: It, it's it's more about feeding the bar. You just pay five dollars to get in, but that five dollars is going to us. You know, to the to the crew that's providing the sounds. You know, Sound Plus Rhythm Productions. And so, um, they wanted to get into the record game, and so they 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 invested into that one song and pressed up the vinyl for um, Forsaken. And then the flip side was the song "Dip Dip," and um, we uh, we put it out there in the world, and it, and it got it got a lot of really good feedback. Like all the underground stations started picking up on it really quickly, um, and then we made it on the um, the Five Deadly Venoms of, of Brooklyn, thanks to P.F. Cut. So P.F. Cutton added us to his segment on that mixtape, and that's one of the most the like, five legendary mixtapes of that era, Five Deadly Venoms of Brooklyn. P. F.
2: Cutten was. was a big DJ in New York City yeah. scene. The New York City like uh yeah. hip hop scene period, which was pretty much the uh hip hop scene of the nation, you know? Like the DJs yeah. that were big in New York City were kind of like big everywhere at the time, essentially, because they mm-hmm. were the ones providing the mixtapes mm-hmm. everybody was getting. And yeah. P. F. Cutten was definitely one of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And this team he also was to, yeah. um, uh, work with, um, smooth, the hustler and sugar, the gambler.
1: Yeah, I, I believe I... he did. He, I, but I by don't even know be who those people like, are. but, but <clears throat> five deadly Venoms was the, was the cassette right there.
0: Okay. So basically you got on that thing.
1: And that was it. Um, opened up a lot of venues for shows. Um, um, Started getting my, my 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 name out there, made it a little easier to get a little further up on the open mic list now, um, and uh, and then um, we followed it up with the Dip Dip remix and this other song called I Heard It, and we did that one with Nervous Records, and that was our first time working with the label. So the same crew took me over to Nervous Records, we worked on that, we did some video work for it, um, and um, it was uh it was it was cool because that one then got picked up on hot 97 and red alert was the first person to start playing that dip dip remix and he would play it on his uh his five o'clock free ride that he would do and that was in 97 um and so then the, the you know the buzz started growing more from from getting some more burn from from that kind of exposure uh, on that level with that song but um we were trying to figure out what the next song was going to be and i was writing a lot of stuff that was um, you know it, it wasn't progressing in the direction that you know that we we'd have we'd have all like to have seen as a group um and then i saw sound plus rhythm investing in someone else right and and of course you know i, I started feeling a little um jealous that they were investing their time in this other artist on the label although this dude was dope um because it was me, it was this other guy, Thief in the Night. Thief in, Thief in the Night was awesome. Um, and then uh, there was this, uh, this, I forget the third guy's name, but he was a sick lyricist. I think his name was uh, uh, Mr. Cruz or Felix Cruz. It might have been Felix Cruz, yeah. Um, but he was up in the Bronx and he was nasty. So they were just trying to diversify you know, their investments. They, they, didn't, they didn't say they weren't working with me. I still had access to the studio. They were still feeding me with beats. I was writing, um, but I got, uh, my ego got in the way and, and, uh, and it made me tell them that I was seeking different representation. So then I ended up sitting across the table from, um, what's Eminem's lawyer's name again? Paul. Paul Rosenberg. Um, Paul Rosenberg. I, I yeah. have a meeting with Paul Rosenberg. At the time he was representing Eminem and uh, Thurston Howe. And he was like, Breeze, I know who you are what are you looking for? Um, and we started talking, I played him some jams and he was like, all, all right, all right. And he was, he was talking about, you know, how he was giving me the precursor and let me hear like some more of Eminem's jams, like often off the, 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 the demo tape when Eminem just had the six songs on the demo. And, um, he was telling me m's about to blow and all this other stuff to set up a follow-up meeting with him. Um, I go back to the other dudes and they're like, You know, let's let's try to work something out. And so I never followed up with Paul Rosenberg. Probably be the the biggest of many big mistakes that I probably made along the way. (laughs) But that one, I (laughs) I mean,
0: I totally can appreciate what you're saying right now. I mean, how many? It's like saying, okay, like I knew what Bitcoin was in 2010. That's a real fact in my life. I knew what Bitcoin was in twenty ten when a uh-huh. dollar would get you more than one bitcoin. Okay? A dollar would get you more than and imagine if I just put like a hundred dollars into those bitcoins. Yeah. And then what I'd you know, you just everyone has that moment. Yeah. That's what it feels yeah. like listening to you. tell me that you were listening to M and M's pre released material and Paul Rosenberg's like, My God, I fucks with you
1: And you're like, nah. Now, he didn't say that. I okay. can't say that. Right. He, he wasn't. I he wasn't like he, he wanted. A <clears throat> he wanted to follow up, right? So I appreciated the opportunity to follow up, right? But that's where you know, depending on how you show up, it depends on how you blow up. Sometimes, right? Mm. Um, but I didn't even follow up, and that's a fuck up because these people will not open up the door for you again, right? Especially once the train starts moving. That's it. You're done.
0: That's a huge and knowledge I nugget
1: a, a, more than one person in that, in that area, because oftentimes it was that ego piece. Um, and, and it's, 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 it's weird. Cause it's like the, 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 the skill in the art form itself almost pushes and propels that ego to the front because so much of it was driven by that so much of the appeal of it was that, you know, I, I you know, I'm bad, and it, you know, when you, you got to you know, uh uh, it was like the explosion of emotion from an oppressed people when you you think about the birth of hip-hop in and of itself right um and so a lot of it is bravado and and it's hard to separate that and that's what led to that rift that finally separated me from the sound plus rhythm guys right before they they two years later they're doing songs on biggie's album right had my ego not gotten away i could have sat in the cut and been positioned for a lot better. Cause by the time I got to reaching out to Sean Prez again, he was like straight up breeze. I'm so far from that listening to demo tape shit right now. Um, and it hurt to hear that, but at the same time, I had to respect it because I was the one that stepped off. Um, and so then, you know, it's, it's one meeting after another with, with different labels, I'm sitting there with the heads of rockets and they're same thing breeze, we know where you are, but. You know, it, it, the, the, the record game just isn't what it, it was just a little while ago. Like, they're getting ready to, you know, finalize their deals and, and turn over their, you know, you know, most of their control, their stuff to the, the deal they're working on with Priority. And um, they were about to change into a different kind of label at that point. They weren't really picking up anybody off the street anymore. Um, but, again, they knew, they knew the name. They wished me well. Um, there was respect sat down with, uh, Steve Rifkin in his office, spit some bars for him. That's right when alcoholics and, and Wu-Tang were taking off. Um, but there was, uh, nothing really there either for that. And and that's went right before, right, but right before that, um, or right around that time was when, um, you started seeing the bad boy stuff start taking off and the entire industry started moving towards that, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that really polished sound, party vibes. Um, you know, it was like uh, the, uh, the conscious rappers were almost being intentionally uh, barred from being a part of the, uh, the, the mainstream. Um, it, it was like a, a hard shift um, that started happening. Um, and so having lost those connects and being in between the only place left to go for me was the, the underground scene in New York and the battle scene. And then there was also the, the, the indie chitlin circuit throughout the country where every now and then you, you get a flown here or there to do a show here and there, because you had some vinyl that was spinning out a while ago before that. And so the battle scene was another place to keep your buzz going and keep your buzz alive. And, uh, I found some success there because I was, uh, I was really good at timing and dropping punchlines
0: hmm i have seen what you're talking about in my youtube discoveries of timing and punchlines somebody called you like your eminem and then you came in and i'm not gonna lie in that one mime you came in like a finessed eminem style with your timing and your punchlines and destroyed him <clears throat> that was the truth of it he may have mocked you for it but you crushed him and i was like mm, i don't even need to watch whatever else like you know breeze won that one i don't know what battle it was it was just in a slew of shit i was watching But I was like, yo, that's fair, man. You really had that shit on lock. That's, uh, at least from what I saw. Um, that's crazy, though, because what you said was kind of big, right? Like, something that I don't think people realize is you might be friends with people today. Um, right? And maybe today y'all are working together. And I can think of an example that's not related to me, but just of two people that were, like, once upon a time doing real well. You know, they were, they were tight, you know? And then six seven years later one of them is like in another sphere of existence and the other one's not maybe like he still kind of thinks they're like the same level of friends he hits them up the follow-up isn't like it used to be and it makes me realize that maybe there are some people who might believe that the relationships and connections that exist in your life today are are gonna be there two three years from now and that, that it's just like an implied thing and I think the lesson from what we can take from a, your your uh story is that sometimes it's not even true. Sometimes when the time comes, even if everybody loves it, it's just that unfortunately the time is no longer what it was and the people are no longer in the same position to be able to do what they once did meaning that you now have to go find new networks and new ways to approach life and this happens to so many of us so many of us go through moments that are exactly like that i mean i'm pretty sure most people do i don't think most people actually do the right thing the first time like i don't actually think that that's common you know like that's that miracle shit that hollywood sells you know that's that like actor rap as i think you put it at one point in your career um that would you know like is it bad is it good i don't know but the authenticity is attractive in 2021 so you on a good path in today's market
1: (laughs) well that's a good thing you know i did glaze over another huge segment of um my 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 um my upbringing when i was working with the cash clean mac and that was the um the first time I was on Hot 97, so even though that was the first time my records were playing on Hot 97, was when the Dip Dip Remix came out, in uh in uh, in, uh late '97, in '95 there was a show called the Mike Check Show on Hot 97, and it was hosted by the Furious Five, and um, that's when the personal things were happening in my life, and I was about to quit rhyming altogether. And I was telling my man Mark Caraballo, up in the Bronx, up on, he lived right there, right near Yankee Stadium. And I was at his crib, and I was like, Mark, I think I'm gonna quit. And he was like, Nah, man, chill, chill, chill. Um, you need to, um, you need, to, there's a show. You got to call in. You got to call in. You got to get on. So I, we call, and they're like, Who's, what are the odds you're gonna get on the show, right? And um, the dude's like, You know, hot seven who's, who's calling? I'm like, Yo, Breeze. You know, wanted to, you know, see if I could rhyme. And he's like, All right, you know, let's 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 see what's up. Um, and they put me on hold and then they open up the mic and, um, I get to spit. And then on the mic check show, the furious five would, if you, if you caught a good, if you caught a good flow, they would do this thing. They would just chant everything for them was a chant, right? They had chants for everything. So if you did a good rhyme, they'd be like, you did your thing, homie. You did your thing. You did your thing, homie. You did your thing. Or if your, rhyme was whack, they'd be like, that was doo, doo. That was doo, doo that. So you did not want to get that second one. Right. So um, I remember having listened to the show before, like I was nervous, but I, I, I gave it all I had. Right. I was like, what, what do I got to lose? They told me to stay on the line. And then Mickey Benson who was managing the, the, the furious five at the time. was like, you know, you know, they want you to come down to the studio next week. And so we go down there and we're standing out in front of hot 97. And we're like, we're super on time, but we're like, we just walk in and we walk in and they're like we don't we're not expecting you you can't come in and so we start walking out and then we see Melly, mel and all the others come in and, and i'm like yo breeze and they're like oh breeze from the other week come on come with us come with us and they bring us up into the studio and we're in the studio with the furious five and then they started having me come in um every week as like their their um it, it, i was like their new school assassin so, you know, anytime, like, somebody would come on and, you know, try to get lyrical on them with the new stuff, like, they'd like, oh, Breeze. You were the, and, young, gunner. You were
2: the, the young gunner. I was the young gunner.
1: I was the young gunner there, and I, I, I was there to do my thing, and, you know, I would be up there in the studio, and they would let me do the rhyme cipher with them at the start of the show every week, and um, every week, Melly Mel would write a new rhyme for the show. This dude was so disciplined. With lyricism but to be in the room in the presence of that greatness and at first flash was there just for like one one more show and then they kind of started going their their, their separate ways with that um but then it was tony touch who was dj for the furious five and angie martinez was the engineer on the show and so i got to spend a lot of time with all of these people early on and that's what kind of brought me back into the music and then um eventually um, I started rocking with Freedom Williams, who knew Melly Mel and the Furious Five, and then Freedom invited me to his studio, and he was putting together a, a rap group a la Wu-Tang called the Black Knights, and they put together a 12-inch vinyl called Who's the Black Man, and I got to drop some bars on that about riding over the Alps, like Hannibal, um, and, and all this other stuff. Like It was, it was like some, some uber-righteousness, but it was good. From that, a group of us from the Black Knights spun off into the hypodermic needles. And um, that was with um, the homies from, um, from Elm City up in Connecticut. And um, it was me, Napalm Bomb, and um, Nondescript were the MCs. Sonata Virtuoso was the, the beat maker. And um, we dropped a single called Always. And so that's where the vinyl started to come and then it was time for me to do my own vinyl and that's when cassius claymack hit me with the the forsaken track so i can't say i was completely out of way and, and dude when history is this dense and there's that many brushes with greatness it gets hard to keep it all lined up sometimes so forgive me for a uh, being a little mixed up with it but it has definitely been an interesting career to say the least
2: very, very interesting. interesting i was gonna um, say, that, to that just one. say
0: like even i can appreciate how fucking ridiculously i think the entire anybody can appreciate how ridiculous it is First of all, everybody knows who Angie Martinez is, is today. So that was like a name drop that's relevant, right? Cause she's on YouTubes and shit, you know? Like people know who that is, right? That was like really like a significant thing. We all know who who the five are. Cause like, I mean, we all do. It's just, how do you not? It's impossible. Uh, you like brought up Grandmaster Flash, just all casually. Like he was there that one time. And then you know, I'm like, what the fuck? And then you're on the radio busting freestyles you're like their pitbull just to prove 97
2: is a like, huge is a huge name huge i was gonna i was name. gonna ask i was gonna ask um we still didn't get to blaze battle on hbo right
1: no
0: not even yeah no but this <laughs> like- is like
2: where which is where like which is like from a, from a from a from a super hip-hop head new york kid you know all the way it was to me dumb. Like, that's like I look at somebody I look said it,
0: idea there. You know, idea
1: you bad
2: yeah. like you. Um, that. we knew each other, yes. I can't
1: say that he was a friend, but we, no, we knew my, each my other guy Ismail,
0: sure. who's been watching this, fucking loves idea. So, whatever you can say about idea would be a wonderful
1: thing. He's good peoples, but it, it, it was never more than just a pound or what's up. Um. And and I've heard good things that that I can that I can say for sure, you know, but the the, the Midwest battle scene was coming up very differently than the uh, the New York one at the time, and it was it was uh it was another interesting scene, just like the the, the New England scene was starting to develop also around that time in the late '90s, and they were starting the battle scene also. So you got Scribble Jam, like blowing up with the with the with the Midwest and the, and some of the Southern um states where underground hip-hop was starting to bubble and then up north it was the the super bowl battles um that would happen up at the middle east and uh, a lot of those dudes like sage francis who eventually then migrated over oh my- to the, the scribble jam circle and started doing damage down there i met sage francis in the streets of new york in those late 90 days like he was battling some like ducks up on um up on um in the in the, in the west village and um There was like more of them than him so then of course you know i stepped in and i was like yo let's go and um you know it was it was us battling these other dudes and then after that he came with us i think lifelong was there too to um bbq's or or some we we had some lunch or some restaurant or something like that we were just building on mc and stuff like that but he was like he was just raw like he was like so raw mc like just coming down from up north like just in the streets battling dudes like that that like i said he 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 could wear the title he could say i'm, I'm an MC like and he's got somebody. francis yeah dude, who could vouch for that when i first saw even though sage i paid francis, for his dinner that night he never paid me back that's amazing
0: my guy sage francis is huge for me at least i mean look at me my guy i fucking saw sage francis for the first time I and like, cause, yo, it, was, it was random as fuck. I discovered him by like yeah, some yeah. guy told me about escape artist was the track in like 2012 or 13 or something. And I had never heard yeah. anybody speed up on a hook like that. I was like, wait, you can go fast on the hook like you don't have to slow down the hook and it blew my fucking mind i got into that guy makes music for people like me if there was ever a guy who makes music for people like me it's fucking sage francis that life album is one of my favorite projects of all time but nobody knows what the fuck it means so i never even bring it up
1: dude he 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 was one of those dudes we used to rock with all the time i've been up in the boston scene when we started going up there and rocking with him and acrobatic mr Lift, uh 7l and esoteric um, me, eh? rex like you know those scenes were were so intertwined and there was that battle scene up there there was a the battle scene in new york and then blaze was the first magazine to endorse a battle and the, the first battle was at tramps and tramps was a really awesome venue but one of the best sound systems also super clean and crisp And i remember the first blaze battle happened and pre the honey dark won it and no and 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 pre totally took it deserved it 100 i was just mad i wasn't in it so i remember walking around backstage for that first one like yo why am i not in this battle i should be i'll rip anybody and it was that bravado right that you know and i'm shouting this out loud the way we used to because stronghold when we started forming as a crew like, we used to walk through Times Square screaming, Who won a battle?
2: Like hold on, though. People hold on. You you, yeah. you, 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 all right, flat well, one thing. at a time, right? The strongholds you don't have to I know. explain. I no, know. I no, know. I know. know. You even yeah. breeze, flat, breeze, you even breeze past the blaze battle. Listen, thing. he's just ever, ever flowing. That's what, is, what we need this here. Is a though. huge thing that, like, you know, like that, that was the first yeah. real honest commercialization of battle rap to the yeah. world presentation yes. of yes. hip hop battle rap to the world those blaze battles oh, absolutely and absolutely. then after that came the um fight clubs on on MTV yep. and yep. and the smack DVDs you know yep. but but first those blaze battles came yep yeah that's interesting on because,
0: HBO Yo, you got to understand HBO, i've talked to a lot HBO
2: of HBO and they had RZA and Cappadonna, who were signed artists at the time, on a major record label, participating with the guys like Breeze and like uh, uh uh I guess uh, Idea would be another name that like, you know? Yep. Like, Idea is pretty cool.
0: cool. Like, I mean, maybe you don't think he's pretty... I don't know how much you listen to Idea Flacco. From what I've seen of your Facebook posts, I'm going to assume not a lot um it's I right. for me i listen to idea i like ismael is like gets us to tell he gets to tell us what albums to review here and there so he got us to do his first one the first idea and abilities project you yo, that guy read some shit man and he made songs oh, yeah. that were so abstract and out there that they could be taken to philosophy courses in university and for real you could build an entire course around that first album firstborn Ismail posted it there and like that's how like yo, because we went through that shit and i'm like yo there is some serious like you wrote a song about being a fish and shit that questions humanity and whatnot i'm like that's like a level of like songwriting that i can see how it's not appealing to the mass majority of people but if you a thinker that shit's gold when you want to go thinking mode listen
1: man like he, he could wear the MC title also. Cause he, he was, he was definitely out there where he was at, but then I know he was always ready to go at a moment's notice. Right. And it's it's unfortunate that he passed as soon and as early as he did. Right. Um, but he, he could wear the title for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that, that was the, the blaze battle was that right. Blaze was a magazine. It was a spinoff of vibe magazine. Vibe magazine is, if you don't know, it's one of the biggest print magazines for, uh, you know music culture and just black culture in general uh, but definitely with a, a heavy slant towards the music industry um and, and and then entertainment overall uh so then they started blaze magazine so they could focus on hip-hop they wanted uh, something to contend with the source magazine um the source was definitely ripe for the picking at the time uh that's back when they they were just starting to get into that little eminem beef was just pre-brewing and you know whatever troubles they were getting into with, with the publisher um so blaze came and hit the scene hard with you know some really dope um content some really like great cover stories um and then they did the blaze battle and the first battle was and then the person who won the battle gets the back cover of the magazine and so that's like the first time if you're an up-and-coming MC, you got a full page on a magazine like if you were doing it indie back then you were paying about 1500 to get a full page ad like I remember, like we were paying money to get an ad in some. Did of these you hear spots what he just said? Just for a quarter page, like we was we was paying a lot of money for that.
2: It's not oh like internet gosh. ads
1: or running ad campaigns through uh, you know IG or something like that. It was, it was bread. You were paying bread to get well, your to stuff Well, to be out fair,
0: there. if you want to do social media marketing right, it isn't thirty dollar ad campaigns. It's it's fifteen hundred dollar mm-hmm. ad campaigns, right? Yes. Like if you're doing it yes. correctly. So Very I love good. that you're saying that too, because it does reinforce the idea that again, not a lot of this game was ever free for anybody. And it was the people who were mm-hmm. able to pull that off. Like for me, I read the Gucci main book. And like one of the more profound things to me is he's describing how early, early on in his career, he runs into Killer Mike and T-I or T-Pain or something like that. And they drop prices. It was like 6,500 he pays for these features. And he's like, this is a great investment. And I'm like, yo, yeah everybody seems to be willing to put up money to move ahead in their career for you know listen you're still doing it today to me success is longevity if you're able to drop like what two or three projects you make that whole cartoon album thing where you're drawing all this cool colorful amazing comic book stuff like you're doing some incredible things with your life and you're still doing it that is success so the people who put up money back in the day and put that investment into themselves are the people who today are you know sustainably able to do it to me that's the people that i have to learn from so that when i'm older i'm able to still create art that matters and sounds fucking whatever and like you know like it has to be like that so yo, to me it's cool that you're saying that yo we were willing to put up that 1500 dollars. we were able to get in that magazine we were able to be a part of a part of history that you can't be a part of Na nah, 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 nah. like it's, yeah. it's amazing that you can do that
2: and by the way like i want to like also give flowers. Like that's you guys, that whole that blaze thing for like my generation, my era, you know, like I looked at it like this is this is where I want to get to. This is this is what I need to strive to. All, all everybody who is there, that was the that was the goal. That was what I'm looking at as like, oh wow. You know, there's, there's a lane here. There's something that I can, uh, I can figure out and try to get to. And that's, you know, flowers for, you know, being a part of that, being a part of of pushing that boundary. If you didn't strive for that, I wouldn't have seen that I could strive for that, right? My man,
1: I I appreciate you for that. And I I definitely appreciate the acknowledgement there. And, 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 uh, you know, and that's something that, you know, for, for, but the blaze battle, right. That was the jump off. That was the catalyst. That was the set off that, that is why battle culture got to where it is as fast as it did now. And it might not be where it was now, if not for that. And so when I jumped into that second blaze battle in 98, um, in November, it was, um, a whole different group of contenders. I mean, there was some really, really dope MCs in that lineup. Uh, um, My first round was against Dice Raw um, from Philly. Um, Proof was in that battle right there. Um, The the Lonnie B from the Super Friends. um, And so the battle with me and Pumpkinhead was the one, though, where they were like, oh, there's something here. Because that was the first time they asked for a third round because they did the sound meter and it might've, I, I wish I would have known who it went to after the second verse, but it was so close after me and PH's second round that the crowd was screaming one more round, one more round and they saw that, that, that thirst in the, in the eyes of the crowd and they were like ching ching. And so even though that wasn't the winning round from the battle, that was the round that they put on these promotional cassettes that they started printing up these little styrofoam cassettes, VHS tapes. And those VHS tapes were then heavily circulated at all of the seminars after that. And that's where a lot of people got to know me was from that VHS tape. Mm. That VHS tape was the catalyst that got them onto HBO for their HBO battle, which idea and shells were in the last round on. But I didn't get into that battle because again, it was part ego, but also I felt like I was deserving. I was up in blaze, like, yo, how can I help administrate? How can I help get behind the scenes? I want a piece of this. I want to help be a part of this. And that's when they were like, um, yeah, well, we're not going to give you anything to get involved in it. If you want to get involved in it. And I'm like, but, but look at what I've already done. With with this so far, and they were not trying to hear anything about a partnership, and so I had nothing to do with the the, the HBO battle. But then, when they were planning the second HBO battle, they were they had me in the wings, ready to battle the champion of that one. Mm. And that's when E Dub won. Or was that the first one that E Dub won? Whichever one E Dub won, I was waiting in the wings because they wanted the last Blaze champion to battle the new one. And so I still have the Blaze grand champion uh, jacket because me and E-Dub never got to mix it up because something happened in the venue, had to shut everything down. Um, so they gave me the, 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 the jacket signed by Russell Simmons and I had the grand championship for Blaze. Um, and then they moved on to other things. Um, That's huge. From there, then other companies started picking up on what they weren't able to capitalize on. With failing to launch that platform, because also Blaze was on the on the precipice of closing out altogether. So soon afterwards, Blaze Magazine was was gone. Okay. Um, Viacom wanted to dip their toes into it, and that's where you know it, it, I'm sure Zoo might have shared a little bit of this story also, where um, one of my boys who was in my my original rap group group home, my man Fool Live. He worked at Viacom and he was like, yo, they're trying to do something with MC battles. I know you're still on the scene, you know, can you come through with some heads, maybe show some of the producers, what you guys can do. And I put out a call and I brought about 10, 15 MCs down to Viacom studio on Broadway. And we went up to the little boardroom and they, they heard a bunch of us rap and, um, you know, they picked zoo, they picked Penn and, um, who was the third person, I think Penn had a homie mistress. They picked mistress also, um, and, um, they wanted to space them out and, and give them opportunities to, 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 rhyme also. Um, and they were going to add it to the DFX program and that would be the, the platform they would launch this thing. And it was like a really small segment of the program, but that's where they started with the MC battle, but it was just spit one verse, no back and forth at the time. Right. And then at a certain point as these companies will do you know it was like okay zoo's winning again of course Zoo's winning again right you you want you open up a door for a real mc like you, you're not going to bring anything out that's going to knock that out right um so they were like all right we need to do something because zoo's winning again um and then they, they called me in but they they weren't interested at first right but they were like okay let's get an mc and mc and i would never go at zoo a, a, ever right and i would not want to um, and I just got too much love for the brother to, to to do anything like that. So we just spit verses for for premiere. We just freestyle, um, and um, we build the way we do, right? Um, and and then Primo gave it to me that night. Um, Was that the one after where that?
0: You in your verse compliment Big Zoo right before Big Zoo comes out and does his crazy entrance. Heck yeah! Because I saw that on YouTube earlier today. Because Big Zoo brought that up and told us about that on my interview with Big Zoo.
2: And yeah, so, I was going to say, like, this is, this is... We watched that video today. Well, my guy, this is, is... Like, we
0: just watched that. It's like a... <clears throat> so it's really cool to hear you talk about that, but be able to, like, actually picture it. And shut out, Big Zoo. That's some charisma, my guy.
1: And, you know, the other thing, too, Flex had been the the judge, because he was the, the the DJ previously, right? And and Flex really, really uh, connected with Zoo. And, and I guess... On some level with the whole the whole aspect of the the mc battle being a part of that show right um and i think he was very upset that he wasn't a part of the decision Mm. and so flex and i had a really cold relationship on that show the entire time there was there was barely any interaction and he never showed me love on camera on camera he was always trying to you know uh, tell me to calm down and and uh, calling me gas and then that just made me get more cocky and you know start talking more shit, right um so definitely, again, another political misstep of so many throughout the career, but I I, I think I ended up all right, so, you know, fuck it. Um, but, you know, so then it started confounding them as I continued to win because that's not MTV's thing. They want new flavor, chew it, spit it out. New flavor, chew it, spit it out. Um, and that's that's the machine that they were building as they contributed to this culture of limited um attention spans that we we currently have right now right so they they started building that foundation back then so then they were like okay fuck it if we can't take him out with this one verse thing let's make it head to head and so then they changed the format to head to head and i was still winning they were like um okay let's let's not tell him who he's battling this week and he'll find out at the show because uh, maybe that prep time is too much and it was you're going to give an MC eight hours and I know who I'm going to be facing off against later? A real MC? like I'm coming prepared. Even if I'm not writing it down, bars are forming throughout the day. So from rehearsal until the fucking show goes live, I got that two lines and I'm going to fit within that 30 seconds that are going to knock you out. And so that last one with the El Gant, it was a oh, the dude can't make it over here for the for the, uh, the sound check, we don't know what's up. And me, like, I'm in there with the flu, but I'm like, I'm gonna try to do what I can do and, and try to get through it. And um, I, I essentially was not delivering. And lyrically in the verse, I gave him the the round because I did not come through with it. And that's kind of MC I MCIM wow. um, and still ended up with 49% of the vote. Um, so, I, you know, I think back sometimes, like I could have ended undefeated because that was gonna be my last battle anyway. Um, so then he goes on a little run afterwards and on a little tear and then when they figured out like damn we give an mc the reins, and they don't let go this isn't working for us and then they eliminated it from the show during his run that's um, crazy a little while later the so hold same on what you're saying is, oh, yeah, yeah
0: so what you're saying is mtv gave people or whoever the choice right like i, I don't know who who is who is the one that was choosing the winner
1: First, the DJ was choosing. Then then they opened it up and, and did an online voting system. Um, so the people were and picking... And then they changed it to a head-to-head and online voting system.
0: And with all of that, effectively, democracy went against MTV's wishes, so they nixed the situation rather than listening to what the people wanted because it didn't fit into what they were hoping to do with shit.
1: Yes, what they were hoping, but they did learn from it, and that same team that oversaw the battles on DFX set up shop at 106 in Park.
0: Mm. I have a quick question. Can I pause real quick and go run to the washroom and I'll be back in two minutes? Absolutely. Awesome. Flacco usually holds his dad and talks at this part. Yeah, man,
2: nah, I got you. Absolutely. Nah, no, but this is, this is, cause this is very important because, you know, Breeze, like, I tell people a lot, like, um, when it comes to, like, battle rap, like, there's, like, a, Pride that I feel that we have that is rightfully earned because, like, it's not even a pride that comes from winning these battles or um, having the gall to get into these battles, right? But like, literally, we finally created, like, after all that work that you guys put in, what Pen, Punkhead, Sarah, me, what, what, Direct, and and Grind Time, what we all set into effect. Essentially, is a lane. We created a lane where there was no lane for us. There was no. no lane. There was no love. There was no nothing. The music industry shunned us. Nobody wanted a part of us. We were the we were the 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 un, the unknowns, the unloved. You know the the cast aside, and we created a lane for ourselves and an industry for ourselves that is now feeding people, and now you got young kids who are literally earning, like, essentially, like, a a, a livable wage off of just battle rapping regularly, you know? And, like, I'm happy for them because this is all what we, right? Like, hip-hop was born to spread love, spread knowledge, and battling was always a part of this, you know? Like... You're bringing this um, whole, like, pieces of knowledge from that era to it. But, like, we know, like, look, when DJs first was DJing, what was they doing? Battling each other. Mm-hmm. When when B-Boys started dancing, what B-Boys start doing? Battling each other. MC's getting on the mic. They battling each other. If you're doing graph, what you're doing? You buffing somebody and you battling with your, with your tags. Mm-hmm. This culture revolves around proving your metal and testing it against each other. And it's something that is a core part of the culture. So for years later there to be a, a part of it that like also in the MC aspect becomes an industry within itself, like the DMC championships, which are a, a, a great, you know, it's, it's its own thing, you know, like uh, I want for eventually for us to maybe be able to have the privilege of having the q and those guys that like, you know, that, that this is all really like important stuff that's like, people aren't really informed of it, you know? And, and maybe the people that know of it, you know, they're already in the know. And we need to do a better job of bridging this gap and, like, educating it for everyone to be able to have all of it. Not just the popular people, you know? Not just the the, the cool names to say, you know? The yeah, the sure. guys like you, Zoo, Poison Pen, you know, everybody... Nunzio, everybody that helped found Eo Dub, all these things are very pivotal. Poison pen. We gotta get to stronghold if we can before you leave. You know, like this is all like just <clears throat> stuff that really uh touched a whole generation. And then guys like me got to then show the next generation. And then those guys got to show the next generation. And now you have the next generation of guys coming up. Showing the next generation of kids that are just watching them how to do it, you know. Absolutely.
1: Um, on the, the the stronghold was the um, was the was was the what where the the where I was able to say I should be in this battle for the blaze, right? Like being being a part of that crew and and where that came from, and that started with the my first um foray into battles that i started getting known for was in 88 hip-hop 88 hip-hop was part of pseudo online pseudo online was part of the big first internet bubble that you know burst and whatnot where you really couldn't enjoy it unless you experienced uh, you know a decent bandwidth at the time and very few people did but for those few people who did it was pseudo online networks and um, they had their own production studio down in Soho and they had all these investors and it was just a crazy scene, this big warehouse space. And you'd walk in there and there was a little studio and then this big warehouse loft down on Broadway and Houston, in, in, the, in the village. And um, in the studio they'd have the interview show called 88 Hip Hop. It was every Wednesday night and that was the new scene. It didn't cost anything to go up and hang out in the lounge outside. And in that lounge outside were cyphers every week. And this was back in like, um, 97, I think 97, 98. And so in those ciphers would be everyone. And I mean, everyone who was anyone who was, everyone was in those ciphers. And that's where I met poison pen. That's where I met lifelong. That's where I met C Rays, That's where I met uh, Stealth index who hosted the battle segment on the show and who bought me into the show to battle, C-Ray's walls on 88 hip hop. And that was an off the head back and forth battle. Like they were trying to be as true hip hop as possible. They would throw on a beat. They would count bars and you would have to go back and forth. And so you could not go in there with written, um, you had to come off the top. And so I was able to uh, win that round and then stay on for a good stretch afterwards. I did not hold poison Penn's record for the amount of wins he had. I think Penn had like 12 wins on 88 hip hop. Um, he, he beat all sorts of people while he was on there. Like he, he's the record holder for it for sure. Um, but I still had a, a really good run, um, before wow. I got taken out, uh, near the end. Um, but it was good times. It was definitely good times, but 88 hip Hop's what gave me the cred to go into blaze. Like, why am i not in this because everybody on the scene knew how i got down from those 88 hip-hop battles
0: mike my, my word man you know like like i i don't know how much time you actually have left so regardless of how much time you have left it doesn't change what i'm about to say um we've barely like scratched the surface of anything i barely think we've broken into the 2000s <laughs> at this point all right and you've already yeah, we just,
1: we're just starting because that then then we got to talk about the eo dub era um and and uh you know the so, yeah big know, saying me. we need
0: uh we need a breeze part two which
1: yeah yeah is yeah because we... yeah, definitely starting absolutely. to get a little winded at this point i, I can only imagine <laughs> Honestly, oh my, my guy, God. I on,
0: I live for this, man. This is, I mean, I, I take it to an excessive level, so you don't. I understand that it's not like everyone's cup of tea, but man, going four hours, no, no biggie for me. I understand <laughs> it's not like everyone's cup of tea, but yo, you have blessed us so much with your life stories, because yo, for me, it's about the knowledge nuggets, right? Um, are there is there footage of all of this period of your life? We're getting a comment from Ampersand who is tripping out, going, he's preaching the real stuff. You're amazing. We're getting a lot of love for you, man, in the comment from people who are like, wow, this is truly fucking incredible. Like, I know sometimes when I talk to y'all, you look at your life like how you look at your life. But I do not see it at all the way that you see it. You casually name dropped so much shit that to you is insignificant that is to me, Wikipedia fucking amazing, that like you don't understand the perception. We're not even. Like, we listened to your first project or whatever that I found in 2002 or whatever, right? We haven't even got to that. And there's so many albums that came out, okay? You've done yeah, so many you know what? incredible I wanna things, echo, man.
2: I want to echo what Holden the same because you know what? Like, even, it, again, he's over there, right? But I'm right here, you know? And I was meeting, you know, like I had told you in, in, the, in the DMs on Instagram, like, I was, because I was around, I was uh, Gene Grey and Sarah Khanna, you know, lyrics like little homie. I was their little homie, you know? And so I got to be around all you guys. And so I saw this and I'm just like, this is but you guys got to achieve things. Bro, you got to go on Hot 97. That was, that's the dream when you're from New York and you rap. That's the dream is to get on to Hot 97. To get to oh, be in like, MTV, just to be a part of, you know, it, you know, all these things are things that that is what showed me. You know, like this is what you do. This is this is the way that you make your journey through this, and you earn your stripes. You um uh, uh maybe get to have the opportunity one day to uh have a chance to entertain more than you know the people that you know that you know around your way and without you guys doing that you know like there's no so i'm looking also at you you know like yo this is incredibly fascinating you know like
0: to that a little bit it doesn't end there too because if y'all want to understand he had dropped a project in late 2020 i don't remember exactly when and there's this track on there my wife caught me taking a selfie and it goes on this, like, real thing where, go listen, I'm not, like, there, there, but I'm still old enough where, like, I, I got a selfie stick recently, and it's fucking weird to admit that I own a selfie stick, okay? And just, and the, but you swagged it out, and you went in this, like, deep direction with it where you were like, yeah, I'm taking a selfie, okay? It's not really, like, for what you think it is. It's to do this with it. And, like, you know what the truth is about the the track is probably most of us have had that conversation with ourselves where we got caught taking that selfie and like you know it's like you have to admit to yourself a little bit you are that guy and how goofy the situation is okay that's on your latest project and they left me with this huge feeling of yo man the future's gonna be all right okay like everybody's going through this shit so for me it's like it doesn't really just end with all your past accomplishments you made a comic book fucking music video ep album thing you're like built for the future dude
1: but there's a key difference now than before and uh, and, and that's and that's gonna be a big part of part two to the conversation because you know there, there's there's the eo dub stuff there's the the mbc stuff there's the you know there's there's a big chunk of, of homelessness and denial um, and then the well just running completely dry as far as like, you know, resources and outlets, right? Like there's there's that piece of it. And then there's now where it's the, you know, after, after going through, you know, what I'd gone through in that, in that time frame, it's the, you know, the, 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 the rebuilding of a, of a different type of stability, you know, just uh, stepping back from the scene and then returning to the scene at this point after having, you know, stopped to take care of business. Because that's one thing that I think happened to a lot of my peers, is that we got so entrenched and so focused, and we leaned on so many people for so many favors, and that that one more this or, yo, know, this this one here is gonna be it, like it's it's gonna do it for me, and you know it, it happened for so few um, that after calling in all those favors or borrowing all those borrows, like you know it left a lot of people in in, in pretty dire straits, so. There's, there's a lot of brothers out there, you know, currently in the process of rebuilding from the investment of that time and, and oftentimes resources and money. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, could have been a lot wiser about that earlier on and have continued with some consistency rather than having had to have been forced to take that break. But at this point in time, I came back because of the release that I had originally found from it and it's very different to be doing it comfortably when you don't have to as opposed to trying to do it to get your next meal so and that's where the 2000s started getting really tight when it was rapping to eat
0: yeah you know, i can't wait to hear the rest of it for real but i gotta say that listening to you talk hearing your wisdom i can think of like 30 things you could do on the internet that would make serious bank you're fucking interesting, you're such, you're so good at this, like, you're teaching us, like, we in class, but we want to come back for more, that's a gift, man, that's all I got to say about that, that is a gift, but, um, I get the feeling that this is a good time to, like, you know, wrap it up, and so we did have one question that was asked far before this project, uh, before the interview thing, when we were listening to that EP that had that track with the cell phone selfie thing, who produced it? We couldn't figure it out. We wanted to know who was the producer. That was a,
1: a DJ Static remix. And uh, that's a, that's another brother that we got to talk about starting off the 2000s with. And that's going to bring us to Boston also. But DJ Static, one of, one of the best that ever did it. Um, Immortal Techniques DJ on the road. Um, rocking with Penn and all of us for like mm. decades now. Um, that's a remix from uh, a, a track that I had done for for dj black panther who uh passed away uh not too long ago um so he was the one who did the original version of the song and then this remix um was done by dj static
0: that's really cool oh but old man fall is the yeah old man fall is what he wanted to know i was wrong sorry
1: <laughs> no worries it was he part was... of the old man series that was my uh my lead up to 50 and i wanted to uh you know somehow all these projects got finished around the same time last year and i was able to release 50 songs on the way to turning 50 back in december and uh, old man fall was the fourth ep that that i released of that and then the other two were collabos with big d um which were, were part of the deep breeze project but there was old man winter volume 1 volume 2 mm. um and then old man spring and then old man fall yeah old so... man summer would have sounded weird so i didn't do it
0: fair but it, do you know was it was a different producers for the tracks of these or like was it just yeah to...
1: uh, volume one was dj static produced all the tracks um volume two fifth seal produced all the tracks Volume the third one um uh, old man spring was by my man chrome he did all those tracks and uh, then for old man fall it was a mix and that was like different producers that i've, I've worked with throughout the years like but all of these are relationships that I that I that I cherish and I, I really right. appreciate. So I don't I don't just do songs with people because they have a name. Right, right, right. It's it's oftentimes at this point in time where it's it's all about the relationships.
0: Even what you just said is kinda of what the kids are doing. So you just dropped how seventeen year olds and twenty year olds are playing the music game right now. So it's actually really cool that like you're you're playing the game the way the youth are. That's like really inspiring, isn't it? Um so yo, thank I got hope
1: it. for this wave. This wave is looking good. This wave is looking really
0: good. I agree entirely. Yo, thank you for real for being here. It is sincerely our pleasure to learn with you. Um, you gave us a lot of your time, which is always a gift. That's how I see it. You, you taught us a lot of things. You, uh, we got to learn your history a little bit—a good foundation for when we get into the next parts of your journey. Um, and uh, with that, I just gotta say, like, it's so cool like that, that's the best way i can put it this was a very cool one for me i feel like your energy is really amazing and you're just so sincere with it that like it's delightful to talk to you that, that's honestly how i feel with it um yeah i don't know if you have any last words flaco if you have any last words
2: i just want to say thank you again for real much appreciate it thank you for everything you did thank you for everything you continue to do Right, because that's that's the path that we all follow behind. Like, I'm the next gen, so it's just like I look at it like, yo, this is me, you know. Like, because I'm not gonna stop like making music ever, you know. Like, that's not. It's just if you you know when you're when you do this, this is how it is for us, and it's yeah. just like a forever thing, and it's just like so. Thank you very much, and thank you for coming on and yeah please like let's uh have you back on for a part two if we can
1: yeah i'll be more than happy to come back through man like i said that I, I this was very therapeutic for me as well um it, it helps to to reflect and, and this was a great time of reflection i appreciate y'all for uh having the the curiosity and and for uh you know digging this deep because i am in a quiet taste for most um, and uh, although I'm connected in in so many interesting ways to so many different personalities, like, uh, it's definitely one of those uh stories you got to dig to find. So, I appreciate y'all being curious enough. Now that's Flacco. Part.
0: Flacco is I straight up so. the I'll be I am curious just to hear your story, but we got to give Flacco his flowers here. He was like, nah, you got to do it. And then Big Zoo, also made you sound super interesting, and I'm like. I don't know who Breeze Everflowing is, and they're like, well, I know. we can we can yeah, in nah, the nah, situation.
2: <laughs> yeah, Poison Pen, and that's just been my, because my thing is just not, let's choose, do everything natural, right? And Holden it, is like a great interviewer, and he also is, he wants to know, he wants this knowledge, and it's just like, to me, it's like, let's just keep on connecting dots, right? Mm. So like, if, we're interviewing zoo and we're interviewing pen and they both mentioned breeze it's just like well the logical uh step to me is like we should have breeze on yeah. so that breeze can talk yes, about yeah. and because well, it fills out the picture but it's you know, also like everybody's looking everybody's looking from each of our perspectives right so yeah. it's a different uh uh uh, po- uh portrait that we paint but it's all a part of like the bigger yes. canvas that Experience. we're all painting together in the culture, you know. Yes. And it's just one big old graffiti wall. It's one big old, you know, uh, the the Harlem picture, you know, like of, of like the jazz renaissance era. But like, remember when they did it again, um, the double yes. XL, you know? Yes. It's, it's just that, yes. it's, and each of us gets to like look at, you know, what we put up there. But when we put our stories together, it makes the picture a little bit more clearer to see. And on yeah, top
0: man. of that, and just to kind of shift it to the audience watching, because we always have to thank the audience who's watching this live yeah, yeah. on various platforms. Yo, at least on my chat, there are people coming back like week over week. So they watched Poison Pen mention your name, and they actually watched Big Zoo mention your name. So in a sense, like you're 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 giving people who really don't know any of this a real window and i can't pretend like it's a crazy number of people but i'm the kind of person that's like yo one person's an amazing number of people in a sincere way but the fact that there are Hello. people who are able to stack this knowledge along with us and every everywhere it's streaming a couple more people are going to collect over time it's like you're helping us achieve this bigger goal of showing the world what really happened and that's how i look at you yeah, know
2: also over here because I have I always do the watch party on my Facebook and like people are in and out the whole time you know like the homies are all like uh very like complimentary of like everything like and just oh I remember that and you know so yeah, yeah. it was like no. even
0: people watching somebody shared it on my Facebook said solid interview tagged me with it and that's not like really me as much as it's you being quite interesting sharing real knowledge i can only work with what's available in front of me my guy that's the truth of the situation (laughs) but uh thank you all for watching on all the various platforms you are watching because without all you i mean like it's fun but i can tell you when nobody's watching it's not as fun so it's much more fun because y'all are watching and showing us that you're also interested making us feel like this is interesting and letting us go extra hard with it and it makes it a beautiful experience so without y'all being here i don't know it wouldn't be as dope that's all i can say so thank y'all now watching it thank y'all watching it in the future make sure that you hit up the end of the week uh eow tv on all the different platforms and follow subscribe if you're watching me you know same kind of shit follow subscribe all that good stuff um if it's in the future same kind of thing make sure that you show love to the people that are, are you know doing all this also make sure that you follow breeze ever flowing at least in all the stuff we put out we're gonna make sure that your links in description are all down there all the, the instagram and all the good stuffs that we could find about you the youtube stuff because yo it's important to go follow it like let's get breeze ever Flow to like ten thousand fucking subscriber type shit let's elevate these people yeah that's within our power yeah. people of the internet yeah. and the geeky sides we can do yeah. that Maybe not today. Be the change you you want to
2: see in the world is what we we always, you know, like (laughs) be the change and, and support, uh, it don't, it don't cost nothing. Right. To hit the subscribe and to hit it. Watch when you watch to hit, hit the like button on the video, uh, leave a comment. That doesn't cost you anything. And all that it does is help the traffic for your videos and what you're doing. And if you like
0: one of those people that's all like, yo, real hip-hop don't exist in 2020 bullshit. Breeze have a flow and drop projects. That's what I'm trying to say. Everybody of every sound's dropping projects of every era. Just let's get the love out. Let's stop with the hate and get the love out. You know what I'm saying? See, now I'm saying that shit all the time. So you know what I'm saying? It's fucking neck. I just don't <laughs> like it. No?
2: We've infected
0: you. That's we exactly got you. By happens. the way,
2: Breeze didn't say Now I'm saying like at all. Nah, because he's like <laughs>
0: top tier with this shit. Yeah, no. get he, it. He,
2: he, my, my man definitely is not like uh, a beholden to the New York. Like, I don't know where it happened to me. I used to be so eloquent. I don't know what happened in the last few years.
0: It's amazing, <laughs> though. But thank you for being here again. So, I mean, I'm going to, I feel like we can get to the part where I guess we can say, you know, live long, prosper, everybody. If you have any super final words, this would be the greatest time to put them.
2: Fucking love it. That's perfect.